Hello, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and we're back to the normal crew. No insane crowd of people this week. Let's go through them. We have Josh Torres. Think about this past week of everything that was announced. I'm not sure if 2021 is real. We will go into that. Uh, we have Adam Vitale. Hello. We have Chow Min Wu. Hello. And James Galizio. Poor George. He's not here, and you said it's the usual crew. Uh, I feel bad. Well, Chow is just as good, if not better. There. That's even worse. George is at a uh, friend's birthday party, so he is uh, not, not available this week. We're all trying to avoid the heat. We're all trying to avoid all the thunderstorms, at least across the U.S. this week. It's been a couple in my area. And obviously a lot of gaming news, uh, not a lot in terms of new releases, but a lot in terms of looking ahead to things that we weren't really expecting. Uh, so when we were uh, discussing the podcast last week, we had some internal discussions about kind of how we wanted to organize the start of this thing. And it's not going to feel too different, but we're just sort of uh, going to transpose it where we're going to be focusing on targeting specific games or news bits to talk about at the front rather than round robin round robining through the participants and then we were we were discussing that this week and we're like what do we want to talk about first and a kind of a surprise contender just literally minutes before this podcast that everyone really wants to talk about at least from the participants here and that is you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to predict this i don't think and that is the steam deck so this is kind of out of nowhere well maybe not completely out of nowhere i think insiders have mentioned that valve this is this is a valve product the developers behind Steam that had been working on hardware. They've always had R&D on hardware. And then this is what they've come up with. The Steam Deck was announced, which is essentially a portable computer, a Switch-like console device used to play Steam. And we've learned since then, uh, any PC games compatible with the Steam OS or even with Windows if it's dual booted. So there's a lot to go in here and I kind of want to figure out how to parse this particularly. There are it's a it's a switch like device. It's coming with three models. We'll go into the details of that shortly. You can pre order online at Steam's website. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The first shipment start this December. Yeah. Yes. So you you can reserve a pre order for five bucks, or you can go to eBay and uh, get scalped if you uh, want to do that for some uh -huh. reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this obviously is coming off the heels of the announcement of the Switch OLED version, which a lot of people were going into thinking it might have been an updated like Switch Pro, Switch 2 sort of device. And it ended up, we kind of already talked about that, and it really kind of wasn't. It was more of a, not even a half step, more just kind of a, a, a refresh more than anything. And depending on your stance on PC gaming or your stance on Nintendo gaming, I suppose, some people are like, this is what the Switch Pro should have been, or at least something in line with this, or, you know, depending on how fervent you are about emulating Nintendo titles, this might replace your need for a Switch Pro entirely. Uh, it just kind of depends on your viewpoint, on your gaming habits, on your preferences. What do we think about what Valve has shown with the Steam Deck? Uh, let's start with James, because I think he is the one based on my estimation, that has been the most eager to go into discussing this? Um, yeah, I've, well, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I definitely am pretty damn excited. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, 
I'll be honest. So the rumors for this have been kind of floating around for a couple of weeks now. And I, I say rumors, but more so there was like a leak from uh, Valve's like basically everything that Valve does, everything that happens on Steam is kind of combed over with a fine tooth comb. And uh, there was rumors about something like this on Steam for the last couple of weeks because of stuff that people found on Steam's own website. Uh, and actually, apparently, there's like a little cheeky reference to that in the final like published uh, announcement because there's like something like about oh, remember to delete this uh, this file on the on the website. <laughs> I, I remember reading some generic rumors that they are working on hardware, but I don't think that this is particularly what people had in mind. Were were people nailing it down that it would be a handheld device? Yeah, recall that this is not the first time Steam has made hardware. You had the Steam machines from back then. You had the Steam Link. Yeah, the Steam controller. So yep, the, the Vive and the Index. Yep, uh, it's not their first foray into hardware, but there's it's uh, definitely you, you can definitely see that this is a reaction to the the Nintendo Switch concept. It's like, okay, what can we do to really unify like the experiences that we've learned over the years about investing in hardware? What the people really want? What makes sense? And I think the end result with this initial Steam Deck concept is very alluring and appealing because they're very open that this is just a, a a PC just as a handheld and the three options that they give for the three SKUs that they give for this are pretty smart because the entry price is relatively low even though it's it's just $400 even though it's at 64 gigabytes it has an expandable micro SD slot so for people who really want like some sort of like indie machine or low maintenance type of games or visual novels, you can get it at that really low price, relatively speaking. Uh, as we move up, you know, you have 256 and 512 gigabytes, both priced at $530 USD and 650, uh, $649 US dollars, uh, respectively. And the main difference between that initial 64 gigabyte and these other models is that the, in, the internal storage of that 64 gigabyte is EMMC. So these are all SSDs, but there are different like standards of SSDs. So EMMC is still fast, but not as fast as the NVMe standard that's and, in uh, the 56512. For, for a point of reference, the Switch OLED edition is 350. So this is $50 more for a base edition for a uh, if you're if you're only like blind eyed by just the specs itself, or a much stronger piece of a uh, piece of equipment for fifty dollars more, so uh, you might you might like lament the lack of storage or other you know other limitations of the base model, but in comparison directly to the Switch OLED, it doesn't look too bad. I don't think. No, not, if, not a, it's a very compelling price. That's right. for sure. Yeah, go on, Jim. Sorry to cut you off like that. No, it's fine. Um, basically, the specs themselves are really fascinating because for all intents and purposes it's the closest thing we would we have to a next-gen handheld like basically before nintendo even had a chance to release a an actual switch pro or a switch 2 the specs for this thing are very impressive um so it's a four core eight thread zen 2 apu with uh and let's see the actual like clock speed for this thing on the tech specs uh basically base uh, clock speed is 2.4 gigahertz up to 3.5 gigahertz. So it's basically about half of uh, an Xbox Series S CPU. The GPU is eight RDNA 2 compute units um, up to 1.6 teraflops, floating point 32. And this is uh, pack overall package power of like 15 watts. 
How many games then is that? Uh, basically, <laughs> this is his power. Uh, the best way to say uh, to put it is that based off of all the specs, and not even talking about the RAM, like L- which is LP DDR5, 16 gigabytes of it, which is really impressive as well. This is stronger than the PS4. Like on yeah. paper, this is stronger than the PS4. Any game that, for example, would run at like 1080p 30 on a PS4 should have no issues running at similar like. Uh, settings at 720p 60 on Steam Deck. Yeah, this which... is an interesting uh, approach that Steam uh, did with Valve uh, did specifically on this uh, Steam Deck, where they kind of, as James mentioned, it, uh, just on paper, these they, they kind of went overkill on the specs because what this is really targeting for uh, just when you're playing on handheld is a 720p standard. So what they're basically doing is really upping the specs for a really smooth 720p performance. So you're not you're not expecting 1080p or 4K obviously out of this because that'd be really heavy on the battery. Uh, so what they're doing is you're gonna get really smooth gameplay running probably uh, medium to high specs on a lot of modern AAA games, uh, but they're gonna be running at 720p. But you're still getting uh, a great performance because of these specs. Yeah. And just to put in perspective, uh, the specs here, particularly with the CPU, this will be able to, without a doubt, emulate like up to Wii U games. Uh, a decent amount of PS3 titles as well, though obviously the PS3 is a bit of a different beast. Um, Switch emulation is still developing, but it seems like there's actually a distinct possibility, as weird, as funny as it is, that this might end up being a Switch Pro once you emulate Switch games. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people, uh, you know, installing Switch emulators on this thing, and then just saying, "Hey, look, Hyrule Warriors runs at 60 FPS on this thing or something." Um, uh, what is it? I was going to say, you know, these things are kind of in the market for a while, but never made yeah. by like a big name publisher, you know, like uh, or whatever you like to call like, it. Yeah. The GPD Win 3 and you had the Aya Neo, and those were like, from what I can understand, they were like good, solid systems. But like the base price for an Aya Neo, for example, which is the most comparable to this with a weaker GPU, but a slightly stronger CPU because with six cores, six threads versus four cores, eight threads, that thing started at over $800. So for half the price, you get a system that overall is stronger. And is made by a North American company that you'll generally have a better time dealing with warranties and stuff with. Yeah, I think that I think the key thing here that's really it really blows this market open. It's it's always existed, as you said, Chow. But I think the key distinction here is the price, the starting price, and then even like the the high end model, the five hundred twelve model, is still quite less expensive than the starting price of yeah other i was looking at it it's like yeah it was like i gotta get yeah, that, that model it's like, it seems yeah, pretty the fair model is 650 in us dollars when like what is the gpd win three like one grand yes yeah so one grand. Uh, but the thing is though is josh brought this up earlier like valve has worked on hardware before and i think their record is kind of spotty like obviously the valve index mm-hmm. has been well received in it seems at least i don't have first-hand experience well received and a lot of people swear by it as a go-to vr headset but then i look at the steam link and the steam controller which kind of had uh like a like a flash of support that ended up going away pretty quickly and those things are kind of like dead and abandoned and then there's yeah, the, um, 
like even well, like times Steam a charm, big, maybe? yeah steam big picture hasn't seen an update in forever they did finally update like the storefront ui and the platform like the friends gui and all that but it's their their, their record isn't spotless so it kind of makes me like hesitant to jump on right away because is this just going to see like a year and a half of support and then it's just kind of like left up to the community to just keep it running like maybe well, the community will be fervent uh, enough that that'll be acceptable but it's just i don't know I mean, i'm hesitant maybe irrationally so uh, one Go thing i will say is that yeah I'm, I'm not even sure if calling their record spotty is necessarily fair specifically because the Steam link, the only reason they stopped supporting it is because it became obsolete because you could end up just doing in-home streaming through a smart TV. Or you could do it through a number of different methods. Like the whole reason they sold the Steam link was because people didn't have access to something that would be able to run like the software necessary to in-home stream from your desktop PC and like your office all the way to the living room. The people and who they, do use a Steam Link like swear by it too. Like the the technology works, and for the people that I know that still use a Steam Link, they're like, "No, this is great for for my setup. I I love it." Yeah, and not to mention, like once they cut out the actual hardware, they just said, "Here's all the software to make your own like Steam Links with like a Raspberry Pi or something." Yeah, you can say, "Oh, they just kept um kept selling the actual hardware," but it got to the point where it didn't make any sense to because most people, if you have a smart TV, there's methods for you to do it through there. And the Steam controller, similarly, I think the issue with that was they got into an unfortunate lawsuit with uh, I forget the name of the company. I think it was like there was a controller company that has a patent for paddles on controllers and that's the main reason why you don't see more controllers with paddles on the back um i actually think that the ultimate decision the courts came to makes no sense based off of what the actual patent is because like the whole deal with um the patent there is more similar to like the xbox elite controller where you have the this bespoke buttons on the back of the controller that you can take off put put on that sort of thing Whereas the Steam controller, it's like one solid piece. Basically, the back plate for the entire controller is one solid piece, and then the edges of it work as buttons if you press them in. So I still think that the the end result of that is kind of... I, so there's extenuating circumstances in both cases. So, okay, that, yeah. that does alleviate my anxiety a bit. I think the only real like blunder because of, like kind of like a starting point were the Steam machines that Valve put put out or like the, with when they partnered. And even uh, then, even then, with the Steam machines, the two problems with that were uh, were that there just wasn't enough support for Linux gaming at the time. We'll get yep. to that later. Um, and two, Valve, besides the prototype, didn't actually release any Steam machines themselves. Yeah, they had to part. They partnered with other third parties to replace that it for them. They weren't like it wasn't in house in the way that. The so they kind of delegated is. out, and then it only went as far yeah. as that went. Uh-huh. Yeah, whereas yeah. the very first thing they showcased, like they've they've outright said that they are fine with sharing like all of the software side stuff for the Steam Deck to other companies. So if they want to make something that uses the same sort of idea, they're fine with that, and that makes a lot of sense when you look at kind of what led up to this reveal, because it's clear seeing this um, and. Linus from Linus Tech Tips said the same thing. Once you've seen this and you look at the actual timeline for stuff like Steam Proton, it is very clear that the Steam, like, 
machine initiative never actually went away. They just needed to figure out a better form to eventually put it into. And this makes a lot of sense because, so we already said this is running Linux. This is running SteamOS. It's a new version of SteamOS, like 3.0 that runs on Arch Linux. That doesn't mean much to most people, but if you're a Linux nut like I am, makes a lot more sense because there's less outdated packages on Arch than there are on Debian, like non-testing. And um, it's just a better Linux, I'd say. I'm going to cause an argument in the comments for saying that, but it, uh, uh, to, to be clear, to the people who like who who are are like are scared that because this is on Linux, they uh, Valve themselves already said, "Hey, if you don't want a SteamOS on this, you can actually uninstall SteamOS and you can just replace it with Windows 10 if you so desire." Can, like, can I install uh, Windows on yeah. this and then install the Epic Store on this? you don't even need you don't even need to install you don't even need to install Windows to install the Epic Store because it works under Proton and Wine and all that. Uh, I think for the vast majority of people, like there's there's tons of folks that are reading up about the SteamOS aspect of it and being like, well, I'll just install Windows because that sounds like a pain. But Linux gaming has come a long way, especially with Proton. And like the majority of games that don't work now are simply due to anti-cheats. Oh, and briefly what explain what Proton is to the people who don't know like what Proton is about our Linux distros. Like just a brief okay, summary so for those folks. Okay, so obviously Linux will run on the same hardware as as Windows. It so it's a compatibility layer. Proton's a compatibility layer that allows for games that are developed for Windows operating system to run under Linux. And it's kind of an extension of Wine, which is in a recursive acronym, which is Wine is not an emulator. Again, it's a compatibility layer. Wine has been around for a long time, and it's been useful for a bunch of different things on Linux, allowing for non-native support of uh, Windows applications under the Linux kernel. And Proton is specifically a fork slash extension of it that Valve has been working on since 2018 to more specifically run Windows games under Linux. And Wait, if you go on... New? I thought it had been around longer than that. Well, Wine's been around for a long time, well, but no, Proton's I thought, I thought Proton only been around, been around since... Nope. Oh, but man. if you go on ProtonDB, you'll see that um, there's been a lot of support for Proton. Well, well, let me put it this way. If you look at the top 1,000 games on Steam, 76% of them run using Proton or are native to Linux. And That's pretty good. Many of the ones that don't run, it's specifically because of anti-cheat, which one of the main things that Valve has talked about is that you can run, well, you'll be able to run these games because they're working with the anti-cheat developers to get them working under Proton before this comes out. Okay, so because I know there were some, there was some speculation around the internet concerning Steam Deck and whether it'd be uh, able to run titles like Apex Legends or Destiny 2 and there's like some weird reporting about maybe these won't be able to run at launch because of the anti-cheat uh, have they confirmed whether it'll be they'll be compatible at day one because I know there's some weird like tomfoolery behind what the anti-cheat says about the running under Proton yeah but basically mm -hmm. the point is is that right now without the anti-cheat stuff 
76% of games are running perfectly fine under Linux. Like 76% of the games in the top 1,000 on Steam run under Linux. And that includes games like Monster Hunter World. That includes games like Control. That includes games like basically everything that Valve showed off and then a bunch of other games that they didn't. And I think for the vast, vast majority of people, they're not going to need to install Windows on this thing because there's simply no reason for them to do so. Because chances are every game that they're going to want to play at launch will be able to play on the thing under Linux using Proton. Yeah, I think a vast majority of people are just going to do the, a pickup and play on this thing. But for the people who really want to like dig deep into this device and like use it as like a secondary PC, like the, they've blown the door wide open on it and you, you can feel you, you are free to go wild with it as you wish. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to say like, it's great that you can install Windows. I'm just saying that a lot of people I've seen online are acting like, oh, you're going to have to install Windows. And oh, it's especially no, no. funny when you've seen people say, oh, well, I'll have to install Windows for emulators. And it's like, no, no, all emulators are on Linux. Yeah, <laughs> you just, don't... Just, uh, I recommend people before you like go off and try to do that, like just it, it doesn't hurt to just try out and see what the what you can do on this first without having to uninstall and reinstall a new OS, you know? Just try it out and see if it works first. You don't have to go crazy with it from this is like minute not a yeah, this is not a situation like with the original Steam machines where there was nothing like Proton. This is in a much, much better space for just pick up and play Linux gaming than this the original Steam machines ever were. Yeah. Let's talk about the form factor of this thing. So we know that the screen is like roughly around seven inches, I believe, diagonally. And yep. then it has the dual joystick set up right by the screen up on top of the corners. And then to the left, uh, you by the left control stick, you have the D-pad right by, beside it to the left. And then for the right side, by the right analog stick, you have the uh, ABXY buttons. And then right beneath both of those sticks are, are like mini uh, squares that are, are service touchpads for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's for to ensure that, you know, even like PC centric games, like let's say RTSs uh, have some degree of like comfortability and to make sure that like pretty much almost all the games on there, even those that only support uh, mouse and in, uh, mouse input only like have that. And this is the, this concept was borrowed from the previous steam controller that they released. I'm really curious to see how, um, comfortable it will feel in the hands going on with like the form factor for the for people who haven't seen it yet uh up at top you have like where the l1 and r1 triggers would be and then uh l2 and r2 uh, i forgot what type of triggers they use whether Analog. it's more like okay and then and it, and it's then almost the, twice the weight of a uh steam sorry it's almost twice the weight of a switch with joy cons attached it's a pound and a half where the switch is point i wonder if it's like a, i wonder if it's like as heavy as like a, a wii u pad because that that was comfortable for me when i use yeah. that i thought i think lamenting that but i actually prefer a bit of heft in like my controllers yeah handhelds. yeah so me I'm, too. I'm okay with that I'll yeah, I'll be honest. So when I first saw the control layout, and I think every, the one thing everyone's immediately going to talk about is why are the D-pad and the face buttons all the way on the left and right? And then I looked at my DualSense controller and I realized, well, if you look at the orientation of the D-pad and the face buttons to the bumper and the triggers compared to a regular controller, it matches up. Yeah. Like, and the, the other thing is, is that, yeah, on a Switch, that would be uncomfortable. But the thing you have to understand is that the way that the Steam Deck itself is, like, the contortions of it, 
there's like handles on the far edges for you to grip onto, which means you're going to have more leverage. And the way that your hands will naturally like rest, I think it's going to be like and IGN, they got a first like first look on it. They've had hands on and the people that have already touched the thing said that it's surprisingly comfortable. And then once I actually looked at it, looked at a, a regular controller and thought about it, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like it looks funky, but I'm pretty sure it'll actually be fairly comfortable to use. I think I think pointing out the hand grips is an important piece because on a on a switch, let me look at mine here. Yeah, the, like the, your fingers that go behind the controller just kind of have to like curl up on themselves, and the the Joy Cons themselves are much smaller. So the fact that you have that extra gripping on the sides of this thing, I think it'll rest more comfortably because with your thumb right below your your index and middle finger right below the triggers. So. Yeah. Well, about the um, paddles. You guys ever use like the paddles with like the elite controllers? Because I never. Yeah, I was was going to mention those. That 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 was a really cool part about it for me because I when I look at the face buttons, I'm like, man, that B button placement, that it's slanting just a little, is kind of weird. I'm interested to see if that'll work out and that'll be comfortable. But uh, let's say if I just wanted to like say like read a VN or something, and I don't really want to worry too much about uh, you know using the the buttons for it i could just use the paddles at the back because those are all configurable there's four paddles at the back two on each side and kind of like the elite controller like we were saying so like you can map like hey advance to the next uh, text dialogue by using those instead and maybe that'll be more comfortable instead of like always having to reach for a face button so i'm i'm kind of i'm more interested to see like if that is a more comfortable way for me to like get into handheld gaming like solely playing on handheld because like yeah. I, when I play handheld and switch, it's like it's okay, but after a few hours, it kind of gets tiring for my my right thumb. So I wonder if using the paddles and not having to stress that right thumb is maybe a more viable way to go for me. All right. Uh, one. Well, I guess two kind of last things I want to talk about with the controls that I haven't really seen people really mention much. It's first off, it has gyros controls. It has like six axes, sac, uh, six axes of movement. Um. So tilt rotate, all that sort of deal. Something very interesting is that the tips of the analog sticks have a capacitive sensor where you can have it so that if your thumb is resting on the analog stick, you're not even moving it, that can activate the gyro sensor. And that's, again, perfectly like configurable using Steam input. But you can have it set up that even just touching the analog stick will turn on the gyro, and if you're not touching it, it just won't be on. Oh, huh. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. So let's uh, let's uh, let's shift a little bit more towards uh unless how, yeah, just one final final thing. Final yeah. Uh, one final thing is like for people who want to, to really come full circle on how this was inspired by Switch, this can use like uh, it'll have a dock as well. So you can like actually uh, dock it in and then have external output like a TV or something and use it like that as well. Yeah, but it, it'll that dock will come later, so uh, the uh-huh. details on that are a little bit sparse, but I was going to say, let's shift towards like less from the hardware, less from like the OS. Uh, like what is exciting about this? And if possible, if you're clever enough to figure out how to answer this, what's exciting about this for like RPG fans? Like, what do you look at on your steam library or also are available on a PC or an emulator that you're saying? Like once I grab a steam deck, I'm really excited for this. I don't know why I thought of this, but the, the game that first came to mind for me was trails in the sky. The third. Because as of right now, in the U.S., or sorry, in the West in general, 
that is a game that is kind of like sheltered away on PC. It's like if you're ever telling someone to play that series, it's kind of like the odd duck because you can't get it on Switch. You can't get it on a, on a Sony console. And I know telling someone to buy a Steam Deck to play it isn't exactly like an enticing proposition. But just the thought of being able to play it like in a handheld form factor just is like maybe that'll feel more appropriate since obviously the original games were like on PSP and then later ones on Vita. Uh, so that's for, for whatever reason, that's the one that first popped into uh, my head when thinking about what for me, I was thinking this. about I was thinking about PS2 emulators. You know, there's a lot of like good RPGs for PS2 that got like ROM translations recently. So I'm more interested in playing like a PS2 emulator on the go with this thing, like uh, was it like Super Robot Wars? Uh, o- OG. Mm-hmm. That's you don't say. Of, yeah, that's that's a good <laughs> example, right? Yeah, yeah. Strategy, like uh, going following your thought, like strategy, strategy RPGs is probably uh, one of the prime genres that the you know RPG gamers might uh, this might appeal to because you know like those some of those stages can be can be long for some of those games and just taking it on the go and doing one move at a time uh while you're doing something you know, will be really appealing you know you're not like stuck to just a screen or a computer chair and you're like okay well i have to like uh commit to this for a few hours it's like hey if you're watching something uh with your significant other you know and you want to take a few moves while they're watching something and having <laughs> a good time like this will this this is the device you know this will really open it up yeah, a few games stood out to me specifically for RPG fans. Uh, first off, um, one of the main issues I had with the Utoado Numono uh, PC ports was that they're locked to 720p 30fps. That's not a problem if you're going to be playing it on a 720p handheld. Well, so, there you go. So, so suddenly this becomes the best Utoado Numono machine. So there's that. <laughs> Um, the other thing that stood out to me from an emulation standpoint is that I know firsthand that the specs on this thing would be more than enough to emulate Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Cross, which means that if Nintendo is not going to give us a Switch port, you'll still be able to play it on a Switch form factor close enough. And I saw, I saw some people talking about how the base model has like 64 gigabytes only of internal uh, storage. And how you can't even fit Call of Duty on there or, or whatever. But I do think that this this device, to me anyways, is more well suited for like those indie games or those isometric games or those uh, emulated games where like not not these big AAA, like what's the biggest, fanciest title I can throw on here and like play it in a PC, you know, in a, I, I don't want to play like Assassin's Creed Valhalla like this, I don't think. But of course, that is a limitation to keep in mind where... If, if you are going for just the base model, you might be constrained or will be constrained by that, uh, by the storage. But if you're going to look at indie titles or double A titles, won't have, won't factor in quite as much. Yeah. I think, I yeah. think the biggest, uh, appeal of this to me is, Hey, I can actually like go lay in bed or lie down on the sofa and go just play my visual novels on steam. Like I had this, uh, visual novel called Baldur sky that, uh, it's been, there for the longest time but like i can never get around to because people are like man it's really good but it's really long i'm like yeah i mean i'm like at my pc i'm like i want to be doing something else instead of like kind of reading through a vn like i i I like vns but like long daunting ones are just like oh man you know that's the i I totally get you that's the (laughs) whole reason why i've read so many vns on my vita just because it's perfect like yeah lay in bed and like a couple hours before like going to sleep just like getting some reading in 
Yeah, and, and some some VNs or not not even a VN, but like adventure-ish games. Like I recently finished AI the Somnium Files, and I know that has a Switch version. I didn't get that because I just got it on PC. But the games like that, I'm thinking like, hey, that'd be great to just uh, play portably. Of course, there's a Switch version that I didn't get, but now this the Switch app- version's not good. It, oh, okay, it, I, I, I played know. it on Switch. No, no, I'm I'm glad that I'll be able to play um the sequel on the uh, Steam Deck. Let's just say that. Okay, I, yeah, I had no idea if the performance was good or not, 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 but I'm glad that I have to make that compromise anymore of like, mm, well, should I get it on Switch? No, should I not? But this really marries it together. So how many of you have uh, put in Yeah, a, like a if you were... Well, I have, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, Josh and Chow have as well. Yeah, I think from from just our overall staff, uh, it's uh, I got a pre-order. Chow recently got a pre-order last night after feeling the peer pressure. <laughs> um, James and Cullen got one, and George uh, got one. George uh, got, got one too. Well, I could finally play <laughs> okay. with him in Guilty Gear Strive, unless that Rogue Netcode comes first. <laughs> I mean the, cro- the crossplay. I mean, are we playing? Yeah, are we playing I mean, Melty? Let's play Melty on these things. I challenge you to uh, Steam Deck. Ah oh, and- man, ah <laughs> oh, man. One of my one of my favorite things from the last couple of days is that there has been like discourse in the fighting game community about oh, should we have uh, like tournaments on PC setups or should we not? And then right as people were agreeing okay we'll have to stick to consoles because we don't have a single spec pc that we can we know what to expect with the hardware this gets announced yeah this is the this is actually a really big like inflection point of how uh future fighting game tournaments can run because uh you know sometimes the their performance on console whether it be to input lag or something else Sometimes it's not ideal, but people deal with it because it's a universal spec that, like, okay, everyone can agree to this. It's easy to easy to set up. But now, it's the, with the Steam Deck, I really wonder if that'll be an adopted standard because you can output it to TVs if you have um, docs for it. And then just moving, like, console, like getting them set up and then uh, when the tournament is over and getting them out of there is uh, way easier than, like, say, something like a console or definitely PC because their, their form factor... It's just much more uh, portable. So I'm really excited to see that if maybe Steam Deck somehow becomes the universal standard for fighting game tournament machines, that's going to well, be, be you, weird. I'll tell you one thing right now. People are going to use it for Melty Blood tournaments. Sure. Because it, it's, just per- it's just perfect. It's just perfect. It's like, man, Melty Blood in the bathroom remains a viable strat. <laughs> you, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to sacrifice performance for it or, or like be on like a, a shitty laptop screen, you know? So let's go. But it's all coming full circle, I guess. I know. So I will that, never understand is, you FGC types and your bathroom Melty Bloods. It's okay. The, 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 an FGC dude somehow pulled out a victory against a VTuber in chess yesterday, so the weirder things have happened this week. But, you know, this is this is such an interesting device because like Chow said earlier, this concept is not new, but because it's affordable and it's just officially supported by one of the biggest companies in this space. Like, I really hope this is, this thing takes off. And I think valve is taking the right approach, even though it's slower, it's, it's being more meticulous about, okay, how is this going to be received? And obviously the, at least for the existing user base on steam, it's already a hit success with their users because when I look at my activity list and I see many others who take screenshots of their activity list and all their friends are just 
they scrolled down. Everyone's got a fucking pre-order on this thing. Everyone's got a reservation ticket on this thing because everyone's curious because this is such a real, really weird sort of breakthrough moment potentially, and that's exciting. I, I'm, you, you can see I'm, how there's like been a through line for Valve for the last decade now about trying to unshackle pc gaming from the office desk where obviously they had big picture mode uh, obviously they are trying to implement like the steam controller for games that usually weren't conducive for controller input uh the steam link you could argue is people trying to get access to their pc games on another on another display device like a tv and now the steam boxes and now the steam, steam machines machine yeah. that was the word that was escaping me and now this so i, I do see like there is a kind of a, a driven goal here to try to say like PC gaming doesn't have to be you at your desk with a monitor and keyboard. Yeah. Or I think even more, I think even more than that, this is a potential inflection point because if their claims are really lofty claims of trying to get all the games on steam, working on steam OS by the launch of this thing come to fruition, suddenly like people have been talking about how protons in a great state for a while now. But obviously, people aren't just going to install Linux to find out if they're already perfectly fine with their Windows machine. But if this comes out, and then you suddenly have a flood of people trying their games on SteamOS and being like, yeah, all my games do work on Linux, what does that say for the future of PC gaming? Because I know, from my, from my standpoint, it's like the only thing keeping me on Windows specifically were two things. One, being able to play all my games without any issues. Two, being able to do stuff like video editing on Linux. My video editing software is on Linux. I might go back to Linux if, like, as when this thing comes out, like, and I test my games again, all of them just work under Linux. Because for a lot of people, they've outright said, well, if I could run all of my games seamlessly without any hassle on Linux, I would switch. And I think that... More so than unshackling the desktop, well, the uh, PC gaming experience from a desktop or a laptop, just as importantly, this is for Valve a good opportunity to say, hey, we've been working on this for the last several years. Here's all the fruits of our labor. When we say that you can play games on Linux now without any issues, the proof is in the pudding. Go wild. The funny thing about this, too, is. Uh, this is all coming off of uh, this th- this news of it supporting uh, Windows. You know, if, if you want to uh, reinstall Windows on this or not, then we're all we're just mere weeks away from that uh, previous announcement of like when Windows 11 was shown off, and then they said, "Hey, this natively supports Android apps from the Amazon App Store, but you can sideload apps, so you can potentially, you know, install Windows 11 on this thing, and then." play android games on this device too and just having a bigger display and like a more better screen a bigger space to interact with uh android mobile games and that's just a weird thing to think about it's like okay like if you don't want to deal with blue stacks and you're kind of you don't trust the weird shady nature of it on to some extent maybe this will be a path for mobile gamers as well to interact with this device and use this device in in that realm too I'm yeah, interested. And I think, like, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a pre-order for this yet. I'll, I'll wait to see like how initial impressions are, and then maybe I'll throw that's my, my hat in the ring. Uh, but yeah. I'm interested to see like some of the more technically or capably minded of us uh, figuring out like what what they can do that we haven't thought of yet. Like if they combine a certain service and a certain you know backend, and they do something like you can do this on your Steam Deck. And I'm interested to see like what sort of 
uh, passion projects come out of this. Yeah, and and uh, you know, this is only the initial batch of this is only available to like North America, Europe, and I think one other territory. I'm not, I'm forgetting the UK, that. UK, and then so they still have the. This has yet to roll out to other territories, but let's say this comes out to Japan. You know, I wonder how well it would take off there once it gets there, and I wonder if it'll find a market there that's significant. It'd be if it'd be great if it just you know it goes there and it becomes so big that more and more Japanese developers are incentivized to release their games on Steam because of this device because the Japanese market is so um, enticed by uh, handheld devices and handheld gaming. Yeah, and I guess the last thing I want to say is that for me specifically, this is exciting because my very first like gaming PC had a similar kind of spec to this. I had an HD 7850, an i5-3570K, and 16 gigs of RAM. And as far as I can tell, the CPU is comparable, maybe a little bit stronger. The GPU is probably like 20% faster. And the... Resolution I ran that PC on was 1366 by 768. So basically every game that I ran at 60 FPS on that old system should have no issues running on here. And it's not like for something like this at 720p and with a 7-inch screen, you're going to want to run it at max settings because I, like, I'm a snob. I have a 4K gaming PC. I can tell you right now, the vast majority of people on that tiny, low-resolution screen will not be able to tell the difference between medium and high settings in the vast majority of games. Yeah, because you kind of you just get your real estate. Your DPI is what you end up having to compare there. And when your real estate is that limited, it ends up being less impactful. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this ends up taking off. It seems pretty promising based on what we've seen. With I mean, it's hard to extrapolate from what our steam activity list looks like but there's a lot of potential here i think we at least all see that whether it'll live up to that uh, remains to be seen but it's really cool really enticing lots of possibilities here and now the reason why you all listen to this podcast is because we are in some ways a variety show and you never know what to expect from us <laughs> and i'm using that to try to bring Adam into the fold, who has been a bit quiet in this first section. I guess he's not that excited about Steam Deck because he's been doing something way on the other side of things. Uh, Adam, you've been playing a game that I had a bunch of interest in, but have never I never really expected to see anyone play this, but you went on and completed it in the last week. Tell me about East 4, Dawn of East. All right. So... Sorry that, that I feel I like it's such an abrupt segue, but it's like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other way you could segue this. Um, Thank you, Adam, for uh, <laughs> for giving me this ammunition. Yeah, so real um, canon use for. So I had I mentioned in the podcast last week that I played Final Fantasy one and two, kind of just on a whim, just like you know what I'm going to play these versions, and I was just kind of looking for something to do. Like I, I had finished East Nine on PC. I'm waiting for like the world ends with you. I know there's Monster Hunter stories, but I just am not, haven't really not I haven't really gotten into Monster Hunter yet. So I was just kind of like, well, thinking like, what should I play? Like, what what should I do? And I have my I have my PS3 hooked up, right? Yes, my PS3. I had recently hooked it up to uh, go through PlayStation Network and download a bunch of games back when we had that uh, that PSN scare. Yeah. Like these are no yeah these are no longer going to be available, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but 
on the Japanese PlayStation Store, they do have a handful of PC Engine titles. And I don't have a PC Engine uh, or Turbo Graphics or whatever it's called over here. <laughs> Good question. Um, and then just like, um, anyways, I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize they had PC Engine games, right? And I noticed that I, they have a couple of games that I'm interested in available. They have, they have uh, well, the one I was interested in was East 4 Dawn of East. Now, this is a PC Engine game made in 1993. Um, it's the fourth game in the East series. And if you're not familiar with this, so this E-Series is Falcom's, you know, their flagship RPG series. Um, is it? But <laughs> they're flagship long, RPG, long action one, RPG. Right? Yeah. But uh, when East 4 came out, it, Falcom actually didn't develop it. And they released two different versions of East 4, like a month apart in 1993. Uh, one was made by... Uh, Hudson Soft, and the, I actually don't remember who made Mask of the Sun, but they released two different versions of the game, which is a little bit odd. So this is the Hudson Soft developed PC Engine version of East 4. And this version, it feels like a direct sequel in a way to East Book 1 and 2, which is the PC Engine version of East 1 and 2, which makes sense. Same platform and all that. So this is back in the day when the E series was the bump system. Y'all remember the bump system? Hell yeah, yeah. the superior system. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so if you've played East Chronicles on PC or if you played East Book, you know that like these sorts of games, it's like a pixel art, top down, little sprite based game, and you play the game by controlling at all the red haired swords, uh, swordsman adventure, and you effectively just bump into the enemies, and you have to like be a little, kind of cautious in terms of like what angle you bump them at in order to do damage and whatnot. So it's it's a pretty simple game conceptually in terms of figuring out like how to play it, what you are doing. But it's still really fun. And the thing with PC Engine games is that they look great and it sounds great too. So that's really what this version of East 4 has going for it is that PC Engine art style with like the anime-esque character portraits uh, the sprite style on the uh, in the rest of the game, the music is great, uh, great sound chip. It's a pretty simple game. It's it's also only about like ten hours long. I think I was like eleven hours or so. I I was playing it in Japanese. Now I don't really know Japanese other than yes and no. Um, and you so know what's also I was funny? Following... This game is the only game that I remember where Adel actually starts with his equipment from Yeast Two, and he doesn't lose it from a shipwreck. <laughs> Well, he still loses it. <laughs> he still loses it, but he didn't lose it from a shipwreck. Yeah. Um, but I was just following a guide online that basically gives you a very broad overview of what's going on and where to go. I'm like, I didn't need to know every line of dialogue. Like, oh, here's Gruda. Here, he's just talking some shit. Who cares? Um, stories used to be simple. Yeah. But it, it was a, it's a fun game. Um, it's very simple. So unlike Memories of Salsetta, which is the remake that came out in like 2013, right? Uh, and that's the now canon version of East 4. But um, it was fun kind of seeing that story from a different, like, it's kind of like an altered, now non-canon version of it. Well, and seeing the like, different character designs of like characters like Karna and Durin, which I know kind of backwards from Memories of Salsetta, the remake, like, oh, here's what they look like in this version, right? So, but uh, it's it, it's a 
it's like a fun, simple game. I'm glad I I'm I'm glad I played it. It's it's got that old East style where you explore these little these little dungeons, you find new towns, you get upgrades to your equipment, you get a few magic spells. Most bosses in the game, it's mostly pattern recognition in terms of you might fight like a, an ice spider, and the ice spider boss kind of throws these icicles around, and you have to dodge them, and you have to know which how to move at all around to hit into the boss and avoid the the, the icicles and whatnot. So it's a pretty simple game. It's not very complex for me to describe like how you you know how you play it, but uh, it's nice that if you want, like if this is the sort of thing that interests you, you can go on a, onto a PS3. Go to PSN and just download it and buy it. And you like just have you, a PS3 working PS3. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, PS3 guys. there is an English importing. patch for it for the people there is that an English the emulation scene there. Uh, I was gonna say like uh, Falcom actually said this isn't even canon in the when it came out originally. They said the Mass of the Sun is the canon version back yeah, then. I think that one was supposed to be more like more in what they were planning for East Four at the time. So Dawn of the Dawn of East, I guess, was never canon. But, but it is I interesting think it's a to see game, superior story in my opinion, and that's why I treat it as a canon version back then in my head canon, right? Because I just feel like the scope of this game it's way bigger than Mass of the Sun, and everything is just better in it. So I haven't played Mask of the Sun. I'm interested in playing. Yeah, it. now it's on your list. It's again. one of those. It's one of those things where it seems like the conventional wisdom is is that Mask of the Sun isn't very good. Like just from my vantage point. Just what I gather, that seems to be the case. But I do know a handful of people who swear by it. It maybe doesn't look as good as a PC Engine game or doesn't sound as good or whatever. But I know some people who say, actually, this one is pretty good. So I'm interested to see it for myself eventually. But Now, now that you mentioned it earlier about just how in the PS3 era, just the PSN store was just, especially the Japanese PlayStation store, store was so wide open with what, developers and publishers submitted into that store especially like retro legacy titles like i just wish that it went that, that catalog went forward with ps4 and ps5 like i just mm-hmm. uh it, it's still one of the biggest bummers because that that japanese playstation store with all its older titles is just such a treasure trove and i wish there was some way to just move that catalog forward and have it all work in modern systems I feel the same way about like the Wii Virtual Console. Yeah, that's actually the reason why I still have my Wii U and my PlayStation Three. Is I have like hundreds of digital games on those, like on those like classic catalog titles from Nintendo on the Wii U's case, or a bunch of developers in the PlayStation 3's case. And I know most of those titles, if I wanted, I could emulate or whatever. But it's just kind of nice that they're all like right there and I can playable on these machines and it'd be, like you said if i could if those could transfer those licenses to like ps4 and ps5 that'd be fantastic but i feel like sadly i'm a little bit of a dinosaur yelling at a meteor here where <laughs> most people i guess just aren't that interested in like retro catalog titles which is why it's in recent years you get more like the subscription services for nintendo switch online or um it doesn't, doesn't seem to be as much of a thing nowadays but there was a those nostalgia legacy consoles like the SNES the minis, minis. Yeah. Even a PC Engine mini and all that. So little collector's consoles. But I think it's really cool that on PS3 you can like buy 
hundreds of games that are classic RPGs, and it, unfortunately, they're just stuck to the PS3. So, well, I remember you talking reason, about like, uh, like if like, you wanted to go into like the Suikoden series, it's weird how it feels like you can just say, well, you can play most of them on PSN on PS3, and it's just like, well, that's convenient, except for the PS3 part. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, well, how does it like, you, Vita. I mean, if you download it on the Vita, well, well. here's the thing with Suikoden if you want to play Suikoden, like let's just say you want to play that series, Suikoden's one through four, not, unfortunately, not five, are, are available digitally on PS3, and you can play them all. So it'd be nice if you could do that on a PS4 or a PS5, but you can't. So sucks. You know what? You know what you, know? you can do soon. You can get East One and Two Chronicles on Steam and play it on your Steam Deck. There you yep. go. So what do you like better, uh, Dawn of Yeast or Memories of Celsetta? Um, I, I Celsetta I think is fine. It's not one of my favorite East game games. It was kind of the first one with that map completion meta game or whatever you want to call it. And it, I think it went a little goes a little bit overboard there, where you end up like scraping the borders of the of the zones and whatnot. I remember that. And it's uh, it's uh, not a great looking game. It's got some. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the art style. And even though it is a Vita game, it's not a very good looking Vita game. It look, looks like it maybe was developed on PSP and it's just pretty, it's okay. It's just, it's, it's just okay. I, I feel like that one was like, they're still trying to fine tune the party system, which wasn't yeah. really God's footing yet. And also the characters in the party in that game weren't just like, do you remember the spear guy's name? I don't remember the spear guy's name. <laughs> I think his name started with an A maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that was my uh, yeah. first East game actually. And I was, I was like, going to say, if you were playing the game in Japanese, it's the first time that Edo got a voice change, got a new voice actor for him, starting in that game. But Edo's voice just shouts and grunts and stuff, right? Yeah, but he actually has uh, a new voice actor for him. He used to be voiced by the voice actor that did Trunks from the Dragon Ball series, and then later on they got Eren from Attack on Titan. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh. Oh, that's interesting Kaji, because in that's interesting because in English, English voice also, is the English Aaron. <laughs> I actually don't. This is this is a complete aside, but I'm as someone who listens to dubs most of the time. I, this is really like passionate for me, who usually like tries to stay even keeled about this. I can't stand Pappenbrook's voice. I don't know. There's something about it. Like I'm playing East Nine in <laughs> Japanese. It's Pappenbrook. Damn it. And then I was even watching, though he's just grinding. More, more on this, uh, more on this later. One of the English uh, voice actors, he is one of the English voice actors for Tales of Arise. Uh, one of the characters that had an introductory trailer this week. And I'm like, damn it, it's Pappenbrook again. Am I gonna have to play this in <laughs> Japanese too? You know, you uh, know what actually kind of bums me out about that. Like, just this is more like fundamentally, I guess. Maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's not the word, right word. But Pappenbrook already voiced a Tales character. He was Asbel, and I just kind of. I kind of wish that like voice actors wouldn't reprise like in the series again, you know, just give me more variety. Just kind of shows you how limited the, uh, the talent pool. It's I'm always more interested in seeing. I think, new I, I think the talent pool actually isn't that limited. It just people need to need to branch out. They just more. go. They, they just, you they just should audition. Well. You should be tales protagonist. Safe with additions, I guess. That's probably why it's always the same group of people that you see doing these characters. I want to play a tales game with Brian Adams' voices in it. Uh, I could do a better job in Pappenbrook, probably. Oh, I probably could. I don't know. There's, there's really nothing that's like technically wrong with it. I just don't like it. He sounds like me to say, he sounds like me trying to voice act or be edgy. Like he sounds like some like <laughs> mid twenties something. Even though I think he's like nearly nearly forty, just trying to like 
sound like a a 19 year old or a a young 20 something like some people can pull it off but he he can't anyways that's a big tangent sorry uh and if you Pappenbrook fans out there i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) anyways east four is pretty fun it's pretty simple i'm not going to say it's the most complex like intricate game but it's kind of a comfortable you know comfortable classic ride we did earmark a spot here in the first section of the podcast to go back and talk about a game that we uh, discussed a bit last week that Josh had been playing, and that was I, the Somnium Files, not AI, as I mistakenly thought. Um, so Josh had finished the game, and I wanted to just give him, obviously no spoilers, but I just wanted to give him a chance just to follow up and conclude kind of his thoughts that he introduced last week. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I, bar- I barely just finished it like maybe an hour or so before this podcast started um it's I, I won't get too too deep into it because obviously spoilers and you've talked about it at length last week but i just wanted to say it i was surprised uh how much i really liked it i think it's well definitely one of the best uchikoshi uh, type games out there um when someone is asking me it's like how does it compare to like the zero escape series and i think the ds version of 999 is still better overall to me but i think this is this might possibly better than be better than virtue's last reward in my head i was just really surprised by the the concepts that they introduced in it and i was sort of starting to like piece together before they officially unveiled it how it would go but the way they executed it and the and the through line throughout all of that was actually pretty like solidly told like um, it's uh, the, the thing with Uchikoshi games, especially late in the game, is that they, for me, a lot of them fall apart because they they, they somehow leave like really big open plot threads, or they they just don't wrap up in a really tidy way that kind of makes all the most sense. Like even even nine 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 doesn't have like the the it does, like it nails some of the landing, but in in certain segments like the upside down Sudoku for to those who know who know, um, but. But the overall like through line after that ending and the way that it ended, it's like okay, that's weird. I guess. Yeah. The end. Uh, let me just butt in here real quick. I uh-huh. only played nine nine nine. I haven't uh-huh. played the others, and that ending kind of caught me off guard. Like, wait, they're just gonna leave this dangling? Like, what about that? Like, it's yeah. not even like it doesn't even feel like a sequel tease. It's just kind of like they never explained this. Uh-huh. What does it mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. I'm not going to say that uh, Somnium Files is like completely flawless in that part. There are d- definitely bits around the edges that I was like, man, I wish they kind of went into this certain uh, plot thread more to, to really clear it up. And I do wonder, like, I'd be very surprised if the sequel goes into that. But overall, just it actually just nails the landing. Like after everything is said and done, it feels conclusive. It didn't need to have a sequel. I'm glad that it does, and I'm very excited for it now. But it, it adds conclusively without no sort of sequel tease. Like no, I, I'm sure that's why a lot of like AI Somnium Files fans were caught off guard with a sequel announcement. It's like, oh wow, this is getting followed up. That's that's weird because the, the this first game ended so conclusively and the way it, it went. I'm really interested to see how. What's the main conflict this time uh, in this new one? But I can understand the passion now of why people really, really like this game. And to people who are thinking of giving it a shot uh, before the sequel comes out, definitely do and try your best not to get spoiled on it because the less you know, the better, obviously. And it was just it was very uplifting having you know not only people in here, but other uh, friends and other 
places like being very supportive of me as i went through this game because they're kind of uh, reliving it through me of like wait that's weird what what's going on my mind is fucked and that's, that's uh, it was a ride it was a very cool roller coaster ride i really enjoyed it so if you're thinking about playing it two thumbs up for me go for it <laughs> i was gonna say um is it really heavy in the puzzles department like the 999 series no, no, it's not too much like in the 999 uh, style where you have to like uh, solve really weird, obscure puzzles. It's, uh, or it's more like an adventure, a level where you're uh, you're you're in this space and you do have a time limit, but that time really only moves when you move. And as you're interacting with uh, pieces in that puzzle to progress. There are certain like items you can use to lessen the amount of time it would take to like interact with those things. So let's say I have 180 seconds left to complete this puzzle, and I am uh, interacting with this crane, for example. I have to do something with it. It'll give it'll give you like a list of like three to four choices possibly, and then each of those choices take time. Like, hey, if you hit the crane, it'll take 10 seconds if you investigate the crane it'll take five if you tackle it it may take 50 seconds uh some of those interactions will give you an item back to lessen that time so let's say you might have a, an item that'll take one third of the time off so if you use like one third on that 50 uh inter second interaction there's a way to uh use that thing without taking much time so there's there's a way it marries its mechanics time limit mechanics with um adventure game puzzle so it's not as intensive as the 999 type of puzzle but there is still some problem solving elements involved okay. between 999 and ai or sorry i i, I, st I still uh, the nintendo ds version of uh 999 specifically is still uh i still could hold it uh, a little bit better in higher regard because that final puzzle in that uh, version of the game is still one of my favorite moments in gaming. I like. I, I, I guess it also is like it was. It was so novel for its time when it came out too. It's like, oh, this is a weird escape room anime style puzzle game, and you didn't really know, didn't really know what to expect. So it was like, uh, it had that element of, of surprise. Even even if I've already played like Uchikoshi games before that, like Ever Seventeen, um, it was still pretty cool because of the way it utilized the DS hardware itself for its puzzle mechanics uh that it never was able to really emulate in future re-releases of that game so that's why i i like it but ai somnium uh does a much better job in uh making the flow of the actual um plot of the game it flows much more naturally it makes more sense of like how characters interact with you it's not so far out there it, it is still comical in its action sequences but the the characters are are feel much more grounded and in some ways lovable in 999 uh in in ai somnium oh, compared to 999. All right. yeah yeah i do remember playing 999 on the ds when it first came out uh like all my friends were like telling me it's like this is this awesome the sleepers hit that you've never heard of you gotta try it buy it yeah 999 yeah. somehow like broke through i don't know if it was the marketing or if, you know, if it was just pure quality word of mouth nothing more pure than that because like this is I gonna think... sound more cynical than i mean but like adam played it like I, adam saw something that made him want to try it so uh, well I actually 100 can i Go ahead. This is this isn't really that relevant, but the only reason why I played it 
the only, maybe not the only reason, but the primary reason why I played it is because someone gifted it to me. And then mm. I kind of felt like at that point, oh, no, I have to, right? <laughs> I don't know so, if you should be I'm, admitting that, but uh, I like it. I'll just I would buy a game for Adam and he will play it. Easy. Okay. We'll remember that. Buy him uh, a Final Fantasy fourteen subscription. Oh. <laughs> I thought he has one. Does he? No, I don't. What were you going to say, James? I was just going to say that I feel like one of the things with 999 is that anyone that finished it on the original DS is just going to evangelize it because of that final sequence really taking advantage of the hardware. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things in gaming. It's like, oh, I've never really seen this before. That's insane. I, I hate to ask for spoilers, but did they just completely remove it for the remasters and the re-releases? It's, it's, it's altered, yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's hard it to emulate to it. Yeah, it's hard to emulate it because it used the dual screens. Like it was intrinsic to that final sequence. That there's no way you can really bring that sense of hardware involvement into other re-releases, especially when you're releasing on different kinds of hardware throughout the board. So you have to make a unified uh, version of that uh, puzzle. So is it kind of similar to like the World Ends with You remix on the Switch? Yeah, yeah, kinda. Well, that covers us for our new shuffled uh, intro section of games we've been playing, and I guess games we're anticipating playing when it comes to the uh, the Steam Deck. Uh, we don't really have much in the way of features on the, on the site right now. We do have a nice slew of Monster Hunter Stories 2 guides. So both James and Colin have been working really hard on uh, making sure that they try to answer any questions you might want to uh, search for when playing through that game. On the news front, it's kind of an interesting flavor of news this week. It's a lot of kind of like speculation, anticipation sort of stuff, and, and a few announcements alongside, as always. Uh, this first one that we're going to open with is basically a smorgasbord of possible speculation. We could go way into detail on this. Uh, and that is because Atlas has opened up a 25th anniversary website for the Persona series. And that in itself is kind of like celebratory and, you know, that's nice and cool and all that. But if you go to this website and we'll, we'll have the link to, uh, to this site for you, uh, they specifically list out basically seven pieces of upcoming projects to be announced starting in September all the way into autumn of next year. It's just a bunch of big question marks saying coming soon for the persona 25th anniversary project. I don't know like where in the world we want to start with this. Uh, obviously people have been joking. Here comes uh, more dancing games. Here comes more spinoffs, but, or maybe like a persona fighting five game. Royal with <laughs> oh yeah. Fighting game. Persona five fighting game hasn't a existed yet. So you joke, uh, <laughs> but there is a decent chance. At least one of those will be a persona five Royal anime. Cause they did a separate anime for the golden content. Yeah, uh, I can see it. Uh, like, I feel like one of the two of these announcements are, that Royal Persona 5 Royal anime adaptation, and one of them most certainly has to be a concert of some kind, because they always do that. Yeah, and a lot of people want this to be Persona 6, or at least one of them to be Persona 6, and I think there is an actually good shot of that, because there's uh, I this think, uh, I one picture that... Like the, the last one was... Yeah, because people, people need to understand that Persona 5 was revealed in... Was it early 2014 or something like that? Yeah, and that I was like the, the original winter release date, 2014, 2015. That didn't come true. Yeah, but it's like 
compared to like when Persona 4 came out and then when Persona 5 was revealed, this is around a similar time frame. And like they have that picture of all the Persona protagonists, the one from Persona 1, the two from Persona 2, both uh, um, the uh, Persona 3 regular protagonists and Femsi. Persona 4 protagonist, Persona oh, 5 protagonist. Those, are from, those are from past Persona games? I thought they were just brand new characters they unveiled. That's weird. <laughs> there's yeah. a, so what there is is that there's a merch page attached to this where you can get like masks, pouches, whatever, tons, you know, pins, all the normal stuff, including a, a trading card set, which is what James was referring to. Eight trading cards with seven previous protagonists on there and, and an eighth secret. So that's kind of like, hmm, is this the big announcement that they're going to be leading up to into August of next year? I think that's the chances uh, it, uh, are like greater than a coin flip, I feel like. It's going to validate all the shows, the Persona 5 or 6 protagonist uh, crowd from uh, Persona 4 Arena. The red-haired guy. He's the next protagonist, right, bros? Oh, I need context. <laughs> Who's this red-haired Arena guy? So in Persona, <laughs> in Persona 4 Arena, there, I think in Ultimax he showed up. Um, There's this uh, guy named Sho Minazuki, I think his name was. It was a red-haired protagonist, but no one. There was like leaked images of it, and no one knew it was like from a fighting game. I think at that time, and then so people only saw this uh, this character. He's like, oh, he has to be the new main character for Persona Five. It's gonna happen. Show is the Persona Five protagonist. They're leading up to him being the protagonist to Persona Five. When the Persona 4 Arena Ultimax came out, it's like, you guys are fucking dumb. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> if this wasn't a Japanese-focused website, well, it is in English, but, uh, or is it in English? No, it's not. It's, it's just, uh, the, the important thing about this is when the Japanese Twitter account uh, started advertising this, the, the, the Atlas USA account also advertised this website alongside with them, with the, specifically the se September announcement. So, uh, like, logic dictates whatever their first announcement is for September uh you would assume it's for the global audience and and possibly all seven of these maybe for the global audience hopefully because atlas usa themselves is advertising this 25th anniversary website so you know maybe that's being optimistic who knows because we've been uh, this isn't like a it'd be a weird trend start now you know right. maybe maybe well, it's because the two things i was thinking of release so simultaneously so who knows the two things i was thinking of were more pc ports and then i thought like if it's a japanese focused announcement would that really be something they'd highlight but maybe if it is have enough of a global reach we'll see like royal on pc or can we hope older catalog titles on pc or just in, when talking about catalog titles obviously the joke is is like who are these protagonists from these games before persona 3 that they should that they highlighted the uh key art but Having a more modern, convenient way to play those titles, having those brought great. forward would be really awesome. Especially like, so I have played Persona 4 Golden and it's really weird because I loved it, uh, but I haven't really followed up on the series for no real good reason other than commitment of like time. Just haven't really found a space to squeeze it yeah. in. But like if I knew that I had, whether it was Switch or, or Steam or Steam Deck, uh, if I had like, you, ha you now have access to the Persona catalog or we we're bringing forward Persona one and two as a as a pack or a trio would that be a dual pack or a trio pack? Um, It'll be a trio on, pack. Yeah, on a on a modern convenient platform. If the if the hurdle was lowered, I think that would just be like smart for the series going forward. Even though I know most people are excited at the prospect of Persona six, of course. But if that exists, it's obviously going to be the last one in August. So we got six blanks before then that we have to try to fill in. So what do we think? Maybe like anime announcement. 
fighting game announcement. Uh, PC announcement. I think I think one of them is going to be like a mobile gotcha style game. All right. Okay. That's not fine. only are those <laughs> just popular, but I also think Sega in general, like one of their best performing games recently, like that's like bringing in tons and tons of money is the uh, Hatsune Miku mobile game. Plus they have um, a few others. And I just feel like Sega has been pushing that a little bit. And I feel like Persona is this type of series. There's plenty of characters now that would probably suit one. So I the light works. Gotcha. Insane. That'd be hilarious, but insane. Yeah, I, I, I wonder because the, the Shin Megami Tensei mobile game, the DX2, has been running for years now. And that's been steady from what I understand. Not like the it's not the thing that sets the world on fire, but it's a steady income for them. So that makes sense. I can see it. So the first of I these announcements wonder. is in September, I believe. Did I say that? Yeah, September. So a little over a month away. If they're going to reintroduce Persona 3, do you think it's going to be a remake or some sort of port? A port. They don't really have the resources to do a whole remake. That's what's my if opinion. If they do a remake, it's. I wonder who's developing it is basically what I'm getting at. So. <laughs> I was gonna say, I wonder if they would like scrap the calendar system for Persona Six or just keep it. I feel like it's, you know, it's not fresh anymore, right? So, you know, would they keep going with it or just throw it away? This new, but like, uh, Hashino is off of uh, for the next entry for Persona, as far as we know, because he's uh, busy with uh, Project Refantasy, whatever that ends up being. So, uh, we're walking in with the assumption in Persona Six that'll be junior members helming it, which is potentially exciting. So if they if they're the ones humming it, hopefully they're thinking of like a refresh of the format and thinking about just shaking up the formula that, that we've seen in three, four, and five. So I would, I'd be fine with the calendar system being gone. I'd actually welcome it, and I'm I'm up for new ideas uh, and doing something totally different with the next Persona entry, whatever it may be. I do feel like in a way, Persona Five is sort of the like in terms of the system that they've had in place for the last few persona games persona 5 basically is bringing that to its fullest potential and i'm not sure i'm not sure if there's really much more you can go there without just a few changes you don't have to like change it up like make it an action rpg or something even though they kind of already did that with strikers but you know just it'd be nice to see a few tweaks here and there just to see you know some new ideas some fresh mechanics and we'll see i you know what 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 if uh, those bl- those blank spots for the next protagonist or the next entries in the series in terms of merch. What if they're they're intentionally uh, because you know this is, these aren't all the Persona protagonists that have ever appeared in the series. Everyone always forgets Persona Trinity Soul. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to reintroduce the for, the real forgotten thing that had this tries to Yeah, it's the anime that came out after Persona Three. Yeah, it has Aki Iko in there. Yep, it has a grown-up Akihiko in there. Uh, oh, it's, it's canon. Uh, it's definitely not canon anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it, for a long time, it, it sort of was. And then um, Atlas definitely uh, distanced themselves very fast once people are like, uh, this isn't what we want. I'm like, fuck you guys, Trinity Souls the shit. I think people were just upset that they couldn't use their personas in that anime. I think but they that... did eventually, but the, it's a, it was one of the sticking things in the anime that was interesting was for a long chunk of it, the personas were kind of locked. It was actually not bad, but people give you shit for that. Trinity Soul wasn't that bad, okay, guys? Get over it. Rewatch it. I swear to God. If, if they announce something with it, I will watch it. 
<laughs> I, I am that confident that they will not show anything related to this game. I will. Uh, no, that's why it'll be my redemption arc. Once they, uh, once they utter the word Trinity Soul, this anniversary thing, I'm like, that'll be one of the announcements. Uh, one of the announcements will be a Blu-ray release for Persona Trinity Soul. Yeah, you heard it here. Heard first. it here. Inside scoop. Here's another kind of speculative announcement, which really is not that much to go on, but people have been kind of running wild with it. And we're talking about the Final Fantasy series here. In an interview in Famitsu Magazine and then reported on in uh, Japanese blogs, there was an interview with Hatsua Nomura about Final Fantasy X and the possibility of a Final Fantasy X 3. So this is something that has been like speculated ever since the release of like the remaster, which kind of conveniently packaged the Final Fantasy will audio drama sequel and then also ties in the final fantasy 10-2.5 novel follow-up and then in this interview in famitsu he basically says that the final fantasy 10-3 has a synopsis written by uh writer nojima but it's not actively in development right now but the possibility of it existing is not zero percent obviously people who enter the game industry after playing final fantasy 7 uh, and that's why they followed up with a bunch of the, you know, the comp- compilation of that series. And now obviously the remake ongoing for that. So now is it time to revisit Final Fantasy X? Basically, they're refusing to shut the door on it. The possibility is still there. Yeah, let's uh, let's be clear here about who said what, because uh, the possibility isn't zero is by Matomu Toroyama, who said that. So there's still they still want to finish production on FF7 remake first. Nojima, uh, uh, Kazushige Nojima was the one who said, you know, he's had the opportunity to work with people in the industry who, uh, you know, they went into the games industry after playing FF7, but now he's at that phase where he's working with the people who got into the game industry after FF10. So they're kind of reflecting back on it and thinking about, you know, it's they're, they're not going to completely shut it off. There's always a possibility. And uh, Nomura is just saying, you know, I, I have more or less a rough idea and uh, I've written down some stuff for a possible follow-up to you know tend to and you know as you said they had the novel they had the audio drama um and i guess i guess the real question is uh people who were fans of ff10 a good chunk of them already have you know done the research of like what would a follow-up look like and all i'm saying is if there's no exploding blitz balls i'm not interested yeah so First of all, in speaking generically, not specific to Final Fantasy, I think developers and producers smartly do this, this this general attitude of never say never. They don't want to box themselves in with any sort of absolute, yes, it will happen, no, it won't happen, because then they don't want to go back on that. But then I feel like a lot of times people run with it, you know, give an inch, take a mile, and it becomes a promise, or they, they like anticipate it as like, oh, it's happening, when I think they just don't want to box themselves out. They want to keep that door open. And you see this sort of thing, I think, all the time, where they just don't want it seems like the audience wants an absolute when they're not going to get it and then so when they say this like oh it might happen sure you know in the future we haven't started on it not really we have some general ideas if we ever go that route uh and then people say like immediately whether they do or don't want it i don't know i just feel like sometimes you have to be careful well, about what uh, exactly is being promised there, there, you oftentimes see headlines like producer would like to do this and it's like yeah i would like to do this if someone greenlit a project and gave me money and kept me employed to to make <laughs> yeah. this thing like sure um i would like to do that and yeah they're, they're not going to say nope it'll never happen never ever not in the next 100 years and like you know they're not going to do that so so i played final, final but, fantasy 10 was my first final fantasy game and i 
revisited it last year or the year before to see how it held up. And I still liked it, though I, I, I can view it with a more, you know, less naive critical mind now, I think. Um, Final Fan- the idea of a Final Fantasy X-3, I just don't know, like, what they could do with it that isn't really surface-level fan service and i'm using just well, like uh, fan pleasing sort of thing more than anything so i i, I haven't read 2.5 but i have listened to the audio drama and there's just nothing about it that just seems like it's that compelling it's like uh first of all, i don't want to like spoil it but i feel like there's nothing like well, the audio drama worth spoiling. Is, it's 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 kind of like what if the, the, the thing about the audio drama is basically like, what if Sin came back again? And it's like, well, that way you're going back to that. Well, like really <laughs> come on. Well, whenever I yeah. hear something about a potential sequel or something that's set a hundred years later, one thing that I always see when people speculate is like, uh, is this so-and-so's descendant or so-and-so's granddaughter? Like the word you see that, like you see this with like star Wars, you see this with other properties um, where People just want to be served, like, remember this character that you learned in this game or this franchise? And this is their descendant. And that just, to me, just makes the world feel, like, really small. Like, you look at, like, Boruto, and it's just like, here's everyone from the original cast's kid. And they're just, like, visually similar, only slightly different sort of thing. And it just makes... And then, like, in this audio drama, I guess we're going to do light spoilers. They suggest that, like, Auron has a daughter. Like, why not? Because that's that's cool, right? People latch on to that. And it, and it just seems like this isn't compelling. So Final Fantasy X you would, had this. You, you would rather have, like, uh, potentially 100 years later, same world, same history, but, like, new character in this world. Or even, like, 10 years later, content. like, here's someone who it wasn't their role to take a major place in the events that had happened. But now, due to the circumstance of the narrative they're crafting, here's their chance to become involved in the story. Someone who was okay, just on I, the sidelines I, before. It's not Titus's son, it's Titus's nephew. Now are you on board? Uh, let's go a few steps further than that. So, but like Final Fantasy X had this like really big through line of like grief and loss and how we push past it and the way people, you know, cope with it. And then Final Fantasy X too, despite not agreeing with every direction they took, it was like what you do once you're unshackled by like the expectations that had been placed upon you unfairly and like you've got a new sense of freedom. Where do you go with that? How do we direct that to... to and then, like Final Fantasy X three, the idea of it, maybe they could pull it out of their hat again and kind of come up with something compelling. But based on what I know of the of the of the sequel novel and the Will audio drama, if that is going to be the springboard at which they launch into a sequel series or a sequel, uh, a, an entry in the in this now series potentially, it just doesn't interest me. It's you know what's the most realistic thing that'll happen is they'll they'll have a Final Fantasy X three, but they're call they'll call it Final Fantasy X remake, or they'll call it like uh-huh. Sin Returns Final Fantasy X or something like that. <laughs> uh, but just just that, all right, just I'm, that, I'm, I'm on board now. <laughs> just that conceit itself, like oh, we 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 were gonna just return this other antagonist because people like that, right? So we'll just bring it back. Because and that just invalidates what happened in the first game a little bit, and of course we're like extrapolating to an insane degree here because we have to. Uh, doesn't ten two does that to the first game? In my opinion, I mean it, you... it does in some ways. Because ten is a lot about like sometimes loss is unavoidable or it's sad and it's regrettable, but you have to move past it. You have to find the strength to hold that with you and carry it forward. And then ten two is a little bit more like 
what if you didn't have to do that? What, what, what if you could have it back sort of thing? And then 10.3 is like, okay, so now you've already seen both sides of that theming. What do you do with 10.3? Well, you just pretend Arn had a daughter and Titus is back and Sin is back and or whatever. And it's just like a school RPG. Woo! Yeah, let's, let's put it. Let's, let's put a calendar system there. I don't know. So obviously <laughs> the, 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 the chances of this really happening, like if let's say they decided right now to break digital ground on a 10.3, we wouldn't see it for six years at the earliest. So it's kind of like one of they those things where will, I, I said, I uh, mean, they said they were going to do it after they finished the remake of Final Fantasy VII series. So that's going to be like decades. Oh, yeah, after the heat death of the universe, that we can expect this. But yeah, practically speaking, even if this was the very next project after Final Fantasy VII Remake, assuming Seven Remake is like three games or whatever, even if it's just two games, it's like, oh, so this game is like six, seven, eight years away. I hope I'm hope I'm like alive and healthy by then. <laughs> so well, revisit us on episode 900 of the Tetracast when we talk about yeah for the full X3 impressions. Yeah. We're we're we're, 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 yeah, we're preempting a spoiler cast for this 103 yeah. years in advance. Here we go. Get hype. I'm not excited about it yet. <laughs> It has to exist first before I can yeah, really talk right. to anybody. I, I mean, we waited nearly 10 years for Final Fantasy 15. Surely we could wait our 10 for 10 free. Here we go. All right, you brought this up earlier when talking about Steam Deck. I keep wanting to say Stream Deck. Steam Deck. You brought up Super Robot Wars. And did we talk about Super Robot Wars 30, about having its South, English, uh, South Asian English release last week? No, no, it, like no. Uh, no, it didn't have its event yet. The only, the only uh, thing about Super Robot Wars 30 that we knew last week was it was announced on a Nintendo Direct a stream in Japan. In Japan, so, yes. So, uh, a truncated series of events is that we did learn it would have a South Asian English release. Then we saw that based on the Steam database, it might actually show up on Western storefronts or available to download in Western markets. Finally, it got a trailer uploaded to the uh Bandai Namco, I believe, EU page. Uh yeah. advertising the English release, but without any press release or any like social call out or any marketing, just the trailer just appeared out of nowhere. And then finally, uh Bandai Namco did finally formally announce it that Super Robot Wars 30 will release on October 28th worldwide, at least on PC. So yeah, I'll hand it over to resident Super Robot Wars expert, <laughs> Joshua Torres. This was really, really exciting. So to, just to, I guess, the, the easiest way to explain this whole thing is chronologically. So they had a, a, a live stream of the Super Robot Wars event uh, that happened last weekend after the, the, our last podcast. And uh, they were basically unveiling the game in full, the whole series list. Uh, the, the whole series list, uh, to, just to go through it really fast, is you have uh, the Code Geass um, movie, the the third movie, um, because they had these recap movies after the TV series. So they have the third movie of that, and then Resurrection, which is the sequel film, uh, the the new sequel film for there. They have Get a Robo Armageddon, Get X Swords uh, coming back from T. Uh, Elgheim is um, an old Tomino show. Uh, uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth is also coming back from, which made its series debut in T. Uh, one of my uh, the, one of the things that I really liked seeing was a, a little show called Majestic Prince uh, is making its first. Uh, it's gonna be its first time. It's gonna gonna be on a mainline console Super Robot War series. It's a really cool 
uh, mech show that debuted that aired back in 2013. Then you have Mazinger Z Infinity, and then uh, you have uh, the, the whole list of Gundam shows. Like, uh, t- this is really cool. The very first mobile suit Gundam is gonna appear in in this new entry. So the the Gundam from Gundam 0079. You have Amuro with that uh, iconic original Gundam still rocking it uh, there. Then you have uh, mobile suit Gundam well, shows. I just, just to cut in here. I just presumed that yeah. the original Gundam was just kind of like guaranteed to be in any of these i just assumed he no, was like, no 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 he always gets his uh char's counterattack counterpart when he's like old and more oh, okay. experienced yeah you know? so that's uh that's a it that's why it's a cool thing because like the original gundam doesn't really appear in uh in modern srw games anymore but this is since super Bowl wars 30 is the anniversary title 30 is for the 30th anniversary of the series it's not the 30th super Bowl wars game so just one, one guess what how many uh, SRW games do you think there's been with all the spinoffs included? Just a random number. Give me one. Uh, 16? 21. 21? I've already so, seen the tweet on this. So. Uh-huh. Super Robot Wars 30 is the 69th Super Robot Wars game. There's 69 games? Yes. Are they, are, they doing, are they doing like funny counting here where they like count like something a bunch of different ways when it really it's the same game repackaged no i mean the, the, there are some releases like maybe what like like maybe five or six you can maybe knock total. off a couple uh, there yeah may, maybe but uh, for a good chunk of it it's all standalone entries like just new games and this is the 69th one of those ever since its so, debut since ni- 1991 so what is like the uh, history in terms of so i've always treated this series as like uh, so Josh and then site contributor uh, Kite Steinbuck are the two big Super Robot Wars fans that I come into contact with. And these, uh, if you want to play these games in English, usually you refer to importing the South Asian release that has an English option for text. Okay. Um, what is the history of this game releasing formally in the West? Is the 30th, is Super Robot Wars 30 just the first in a while or the first ever? Or like, what's the history there? I'll, I'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay, That's okay. all. I- yeah. So the, just uh, to top it off, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Narrative was the sequel film to Unicorn uh, Gundam Unicorn that a lot of the Western audience is familiar with. The interesting thing about this um, inclusion is they're only including Gundam Narrative, not Unicorn. So that's an interesting move that they're doing. Um, yeah, the mainstay Shars Counterattack has been a lot of recent su- Super Bowl Wars entries with Zeta Gundam, uh, also quite common. Uh, one that we haven't seen in a while is Victory Gundam. So that's randomly in here, and that's exciting. Victory Gundam is a really, really cool show. It's basically the end of the UC universe, and it's basically the mech was supposed to be at its peak <laughs> until like kind of Unicorn came out. It, it was it was peak depression. Told me no show. It's a very depressing show. Um, Come Battler Five, which is interesting. It only it's only Come Battler Five. It's not with Voltas Five. They're usually bundled together. Um, Gal Gygar Final uh, is in here, but the for the mechs only. And then the most one of the most interesting inclusions in this one is uh, the Galgar Gygar final versus Better Man because that only exists as like as a novel only series and Super Robot Wars only really targets for the most part uh, anime uh, or series that have had an anime adaptation. Um, so that's an interesting one to adapt for this game. And then you have the uh, the mobile suit variations and you have you know there there are 
branches of Gundam where you mix up those mechs, especially for the Gunpla market, and then they uh, they refer to those as mobile suit variations and whatnot. New to this game, they're making their series debut for the first time in Super Robot Wars. Super Robot Wars. Um, I mentioned Gal Gaigar Final versus Better Man, but then you have Jay Decker. It's an old, old um, series. Uh, then some of the newer ones is Knights and Magic, which is a light a, novel it, series. Yeah, it's a light novel series, an Isekai, another world series um, that got an anime adaptation a few years back. Um, is this the first time that we got a light novel like selection into the game? I don't think so. Um, then the the one that a lot of a lot of Western fans are are really happy about is that SSS Gridman is uh makes its debut. It's it barely aired like in 2018, 2019. Yeah, that's very it's, recent. It's very recent. So that was a big surprise for a lot of the audience uh, making its debut here. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the second studio trigger show that uh makes its debut because uh, Little Witch Academia was actually in one of the mobile SRW games. Uh, in Cross Omega, that's I, I think it's either shut down or about to shut down. Wait, but wait. That's, that's... So, uh, as someone who doesn't watch any of these but knows, I'm, I'm aware of like Little Witch Academia fits in a Super Robot Wars game. If, and I, I for like I forgot there was a there wasn't a mech in the show, but like as part of her promotion, I think Obari, uh, a very popular uh, designer, uh, like designed like a mech for it, like for some cover um somewhere and that was enough to be included in that mobile game i think that's how it went it's a really weird inclusion i i forget the specifics on the context of why it made it in but yes it was in there uh for a collaboration oh. event that's, so yes all right uh, i, I, I find yeah i found a youtube video super uh-huh. Auto wars x omega or cross omega yes. grand cherry and little witch academia like all right you're right yeah i shouldn't have done so- it <laughs> I mean, they could summon a giant robot, so that's good enough to fit in, right? There you go. I mean, yeah, that that, that same mobile game before it shut down also had a collab event with Zombieland Saga, so anything's on the table for that mobile game. Um, they, in that trailer, after announcing the full series list, which is a pretty damn solid series list, in my opinion, um, they announced the original uh, cast for because there's like an original uh, male protagonist and female protagonist and uh, Mecha. And this is an interesting one. Because the original mecha for the save is the Huckabine Thirty, and the Huckabine is has a very is a very big legacy of uh, inclusion for this game because it's one of the uh, original mechs from uh, that spurred on throughout the earliest SRW entries, where it looks like a Gundam, but so, but it, it escapes that like Gundam license because they made enough tweaks to it and called it, hey, this is a Huckabine. It's not a it's not a Gundam, okay. So it it looks super gaudy in this uh, version because it has like the it has like the beat up skeleton model of the Huckabine from um, the second Super Robot Wars OG that was only released in Japan for the PS3, um, but that had like a cape and some bandages and so, some stuff. And th- this one has like that a similar look to that, but to celebrate it since it's the 30th anniversary, it has like a gold gaudy visor over its face, and it says XXX over it too, and for 30, <laughs> not for, you know, the other thing that uh, that we're accustomed to. For yeah. it, I, mean, I, I was gonna happens. say, it's like, isn't like uh, Ben Presto is owned by Bandai now? It's like, do they even have to worry about the license anymore that's looking too similar to Gundam? There was a there was actually uh, I think uh, mid aughts uh, debacle or maybe no no it wasn't mid aughts it was like around early 2010, 2015, 
there was a weird restrictive uh, hold on the Gundam likeness, which is why at, at uh, in Second Super Robot Wars OG, like a plot point of that game was one of the prota- uh, antagonists like wiped out nearly all the Huckabines in that game because they because they were trying to like skirt around like how do we get the Gundam likeness out of this uh, original generation series that we're crafting, but we have to make it make sense. So that's why. Like that was like a plot point in that game, um, so n- now that now Bandai is more loose with it, so it's it's okay now. But there's this weird weird time period in uh, SRW history where they had to like somehow, um, like somehow step away from gun likenesses for their own original um, universe that they were crafting and whatnot. Um, and then you know uh, they, they shut off like the, the antagonist mech and the antagonist character. And one one of the, the they've released the first slew of gameplay details uh, for this title. This title actually has a different progression from the previous titles that uh, most Western players are uh, accustomed to. Uh, a lot of the recent SRW entries, a lot of like even beyond what was localized, they were very linear. Hey, you pick a character and you go through stage uh, story stages. There's no like grindable stages really, and it's a very linear. Uh, story where you go like kind of like down the straight line of stages to the end. There will be some secrets here and there's some branching paths if you meet prerequisites, but uh, but you're always moving forward. In this one, it takes uh, the form of a uh, man. What are the titles? Super Robot Wars Compact and Super Robot Wars MX for the PSP was the last time we saw this sort of non-linear progression where you have this. Um, like like screen of like the globe and you pick different regions on it and then in, in each region there are like uh, there'll be mission select screens and you can tackle the uh the story in whatever order you want and that in those stage selections and i assume you go through those through those stages and then unlock a new set of areas with stages uh in it so you're kind of, it's up to you to really um dictate what in what order do you want mechs to join you in uh as you move through the story forward and that's really exciting because it'll uh, you may want your favorites earlier than uh, other series so there there's a avenue to get like the mechs that you want early to your party and uh, get them buff instead of having to like have the story dictated for you strictly so that so they're going back to a non-linear story structure uh for that which is cool um they're also uh, introducing auto battle for the first time in the mainline console SRW. Auto Battle was in Super Robot Wars uh, DD, which is their ongoing mobile game, but they're uh, having that system come into this game. And then uh, for this game, there'll be some stages you can actually uh, replay and grind for like money and experience points. So having Auto Battle there will be for people like, hey, you want to get your uh, mechs buff? You can like grind out resources for them and get them there. So I wonder if the the structure of the difficulty of this game will accommodate for that. Um, so recent Super Robot Wars games have never really been that difficult, so I wonder if they'll make tweaks to that to accommodate for this change. So the that's what they've uh, announced for like the purely like series and gameplay portion of this game so far. Um, as always with the the previous uh, releases of SRW, they have a special edition called the Premium Sound Edition. Where they have a selection of tracks, and this one like a, a like over thirty sound selections uh, of of licensed uh, anime content, whether it be like anime openings, like um, 
like the original Gundam theme isn't there, like with vocals and everything. The the, the original songs are just there, prepackaged and uh, cut for you know when you're into battle scenes, they're like perfectly cut for that. Um, the the interesting thing about this uh, about it this time is usually that premium sound edition is was only exclusive to the Japanese physical releases of SRW. This time they're offered as DLC, so you can pick up a physical copy of this game if you so desire, like if you're getting it from Southeast Asia, and just download the premium sound edition as DLC instead of having to be confined to the Japanese release of this game. So that's pretty yeah, and cool. Like, and like the Steam Deluxe, or sorry, there's a few, there's a digital deluxe edition on Steam and an ultimate edition. Uh, this is for like the global release, and the, the ultimate edition does include the... Uh, premium sound and data pack uh yeah so just insane that that's actually yeah, yeah i don't know like what like, what, like it's so so franchise good. ip strings that had to be pulled and twisted along behind the scenes to, to allow for this but it seems like they were able to make it happen which is crazy yeah man it still shocks me to be honest that was always kind of like nebulously the reason like why these couldn't release in the west was because you just figure that the copyrights and the ip holders was just way too like much of a minefield to navigate, but uh, I mean they're making it work at least this time around. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, I, um, the one of the new things that uh, Super Robot Wars Thirty is going to have is they're actually going to include. They've always had well, past releases had DLC like as mission packs, so there are additional missions that happen like during the intermission of between story stages so they get like unlocked as the story goes along or where it makes sense and they're kind of like gag scenarios and having like uh fun basically in these uh scenarios uh joke scenarios uh, most of the time uh filled with interesting character interactions from the multiple series they included so they still have that but they also have uh two dlc packs that'll actually include playable units um uh nine in each pack and at least two of those nine will be from the original generation series which is the ongoing super war series that doesn't use any licensed anime shows and whatnot so it's their own universe um i forgot if they announced if the if these uh dlc playable units will be from unannounced series or not or be, will be only selected from the pool of announced series i forgot where they landed on that yeah it's not, it's um, not clear on the on the store page listings yeah it's, but this is this whole these dlc packs will have 13 stages each and they'll be totally separate from the main campaign so there's not gonna be any story relevance or it won't have any impact in the story and whatnot i'm curious to see how this will pan out i mean i'm in for it uh i i got ultimate editions for PS4 and I'm about to get one on PC. Oh my god, they're they're pricey, but gotta support it. But I it it I feel kind of mixed on this because it might cast a long shadow over the series if this is successful. It's like, is this going to be the thing going forward of like adding separate but playable units for even for even for an unannounced series? It's like, oh, maybe your series, the series that you wanted, got in, but only as DLC and not involved in the main scenario. So. Who knows? I, I I'm curious to see how they execute this, but I'm hopeful it'll be not bad. Hopefully, so that's kind of the thing I'm kind of iffy about. So that's wrapping up just the main details that they sh- showed off on um, that live stream, Japanese live stream 
for the official unveil of Super Robot Wars 30. Uh, over in Japan, it's coming to PS4, Switch, and Steam. Uh, for the Southeast Asia release that uh, v, uh, Super Robot Wars V, X, and T released on, it'll also be on PS4 and Switch over there. Um, so if you wanted an English version of the game, uh, but you want it on a console, you still have to get the Southeast Asian uh, region of the game. The, especially if you want a physical copy as well. So that that was a cool stream because after all that, they ended it off with a concert, the Jam Project, one of the big, big, you know, bands in Japan, especially for the super robot genre. Uh, that was great. So it, I think around Tuesday, uh, as we're all co- we were all cooling down for the Super Robot Wars news, it was great. It was awesome. And then I, we thought uh, Super Robot Wars fans uh, just thought, oh, okay, it's getting a Steam release, but only for the Southeast Asia region, like Super Robot, Robot Wars V and X, because that's how pre- previous releases. Yeah, were. my my were, my expectation was that I was I was kind of like par for the course. Like, yeah, this this yeah. is kind of similar to what you had kind of expected going in. Like, all right, this makes sense. I'll I'll import a console version or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that was the. That was the expectation because you know Steam has very very strict like region changing policies when you purchase uh, games from other regions and try to play them you have to get you have to use a VPN it was more hassle than it's worth honestly but people were already consigned to okay there's only gonna release on PC over in that region just like usual oddly enough Super Robot Wars T never got a Steam release we all we, no one knows what the fuck happened to it we still don't know why it doesn't have a PC release but to this day. At this moment, doesn't have a PC release. So on Tuesday, some people noticed. Uh, I, I first heard about it when uh, someone noticed. Hey, there's a listings for Super Robot Wars 30 on the European P- uh, Steam store. It's uh, has a Peggy rating, a Peggy Seven rating. So it's like, is this real, or did they they like there was a mistake? Somehow? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait. So does that mean? So I went to go check the American Steam store. And I was like, "Oh wait, this has a listing too on the US PSN store, not PSN store, Steam store, and it has a pending, uh, a pending uh, rating for for the SRB. It's like these are all unique trailers because you know, they have those pending ratings or the Peggy Seven rating. I'm like, is there a possible release worldwide for this in the West? That's that's insane. And like, as more and more people were like looking to it." Like more people confirmed, hey, it's up here in the Brazil, it's up here in Argentina, uh, it's up here. Like you know, everyone checked their regional stores, and it was like pretty much up everywhere. So the people looked into it into the Steam database. It's like the only region that is not going to be released for on PC uh, is Venezuela. So other than that, is every, everything else was good to go. I'm like, that's is this happening? And then the very next day, Bandai Namco Europe and Bandai Namco US confirmed that, like, yes, the Super Robot Wars 30 is coming worldwide simultaneously with a Japanese release. Um, the only caveat is if you're not getting the Southeast Asia English version for PS4 and Switch, is only available on Steam, but worldwide. So it's easily available for people. Um, you don't have to go uh, deal with having to get, you know, currencies for PSN Singapore or Hong Kong eShop you don't have to do you just have to go through Steam and that's it uh, it's like that's freaking amazing this is this is a miracle you know <laughs> that cuz that's one of the like you mentioned earlier this is one of those scenarios that's just like 
this is inconceivable that this could happen. Like whoever was the legal team uh, behind this for Bandai Namco really, really, really shifted to the legal paperwork and like somehow argued their way out of like this could be possible because if we really look into the copyright uh, agreements for each of these series, um, we could actually argue our way out of this and this is actually eligible to be released in this region. And somehow they made that work and not only is like the game with all these series coming out but they somehow were able to get all the other editions out so uh, as you mentioned earlier the ultimate edition with all the licensed anime music uh is going to be available for all those regions through steam as well and that's uh herculean effort if you if you go to the steam page and go underneath the system requirements normally it'll just say like copyright square enix or copyright the publisher whoever on super robot wars it has like toei it has sunrise it has like a whole bunch of different ones that all the so they they made it all square up and line up and get it all all sorted away so that it could happen yeah that's this is i'm I'm still in shock like we're so we're so far away from this new relatively speaking even like that was back on tuesday it still doesn't feel real to me because i'm just like that's insane this is i this has to be a dream still because uh i followed the series for so long just to finally see a Super Robot Wars mainline release with anime titles on it in the West is th- that's something I would never have dreamed of. So has uh, that ever happened before? A Super Super Robot Wars in the uh, in the West has happened with the original generation. Atlas USA uh, localized original original generation one and two for Game Boy Advance um, way back when, but they were able to get away with it because those are just they don't have any licensed anime shows on it. The the earliest one that got like an official uh, English release was Super Robot Wars V for Southeast Asia, and that was like a big revelation at the at the time too. It's like oh, they're getting official English releases, um, and you know they're not some fan translation. So that was that was cool. But everyone was like, okay, but there were the loophole is it's only available to Southeast Asia, so they're able to wrangle some maybe copyright law isn't as strong there as it isn't as strict there in Southeast Asia. So there's no way they could come to the West because of that. And somehow maybe the the sales or the experiment of V X and T, the the re, the recent three Super Wars titles, somehow they were able to say, hey, you know. This did really well in the in the in these releases, and I want and we wonder if it's going to be maybe profitable this time to just do a worldwide release here, and maybe we'll just soak up the cost because the profit margin is just so high. You know, there, there there's there's money to be made if we make the initial investment here to just make it more available worldwide more easily. And now you have a lot of like people around the world saying, "Hey, I keep he- hearing about this series. Now I can easily play this." Like sure, why not? I'm I'm interested to to see the like check out the series, and you know especially they have a lot of uh, titles like Gridman that a lot a lot of people around the world that really really loved. Um, this will be a good like entryway f- uh, for them into the series. It's it's fascinating. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I'm it's so crazy. Uh, what I was trying to find uh, just as the last topic on this is that I'm pretty sure that this showed up on the steam bestsellers list but it's not there anymore uh but uh, when the when the announcement was made and when the um 
pre-purchase first went live. So I am curious just basically to see like sometimes those PC market games that you weren't expecting can surprisingly be like massive hits. And I'm not saying Super Robot Wars will be or has to be a massive hit, but I'm wondering if it'll just find kind of like a cozy home for in the yeah, global like, PC like mind, mind share. Yeah, I got like it ranked about as like high as four or number five in the Steam best sellers list, like right below Death Stranding. Yeah, it got, it got into the top 10. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was crazy to see. It's like, this is wow. I had no idea, you know, that it would it would rise so high. Like the popularity or the interest is there at least for sure. Um, and and th- this is not just the Super War series alone because uh, Bandai Namco has, try- has done this experiment before with a G Generation cross raise where same deal where it had an english release for the southeast asia region for ps4 and switch but they actually got it actually got a western release stealthily but it did get a western release but for steam only and that seems to have done well for uh for them and i assume just it made too much sense like hey we're actually making money off of this market by releasing it worldwide let's do it with this with this game that's like okay sure let's go let's do it so and now I'm, we won't I'm have any good excited. excuse to leave this off of the uh well depending on the quality of the game uh, we've always <laughs> been able to kind of like sidestep when we go to the rpgs of the year like eh, it didn't get an official western release so we can't really consider it we can kind of like introduce it and talk about it and give it its due diligence but that was kind of as far as we could go but now it's like no it's here it's available it's on the list with everything else so we'll have to see where it ends up at the end of the year relative to all the other rpgs yeah, I I really hope it's a great entry. It's look it's shaping up to be one. That series list is pretty damn solid in my book. I am I hope people give it a shot. You know, I'm really just to see like what people think about the game, especially like uh, newcomers, first timers. You know, it's a it's a really fun strategy RPG series. Um, I I love it. It's great. I'm very 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 happy about this. We got an announcement of a new bravely default game. I feel like I'm slightly evil for introducing it that way. Square Enix has announced in the last week, Bravely Default Brilliant Lights. This is a free-to-play mobile game as the 10th anniversary project for the Bravely Default series, which has cumulatively, I can't say English, uh, sold 3 million units across its current entries. So we got a new trailer uh, on the Japanese Square Enix YouTube page showcasing Bravely Default Brilliant Lights. And it's kind of like what you'd expect going in for a mobile entry in the series. It uses an art style very similar to Bravely Default 2. So less of the uh, chibi look and more of the like clay tech works look. It's a little bit of a hybrid. It looks more like built closer to Bravely Default 2 than the other entries with cameos from all the other series entries. Uh, Eddie is in there and uh, uh, Elvis is in there. So this has been announced. No release date, but a closed beta test test will take place soon in Japan. I don't know if there's any excitement on this amongst those of you that have more experience with the uh, the mobile entries for these sorts of games or like the, the the existing Bravely Default mobile projects. If any of you have put time into those, uh, this is a, this is a step up for the previous uh, Bravely Default. I think what was the other one that, that that recently? Well, not recently, but the last Bravely Default mobile game uh, was some, a weird like pseudo MMO type deal because. Like you, the like gotcha for, for like, um, or whatever it was called. Yeah, I, I, I think that was that's what it was called because when you entered battles in that game, like other people in the field, like real players can show up in your battles and like fight alongside with you. And like it was always kind of a weird, destroyed experience from when I played it just a little bit. I kind of dabbled, like, ah, this is whatever. So 
seeing that this is looks more like a traditional bravely default game uh i think already is already a big step up from that from that entry but it's hard to for personally for me to get excited because i would like to see these mobile games get local uh western localizations because from what i hear that octopath traveler mobile game is really good and from what, what little bit i played it i'm like this seems really good but my japanese is not good enough to really follow along with like the story like it seems very intricate i remember when champions and... of the continent was announced like i was really excited to play it but it never really got uh an official english release right no apparently not. champions of the continent makes some big changes to the octopath formula that were it not a mobile game would like uh, fix is maybe too strong a word but heavily uh address some of the issues that people had with octopath traveler on Twitch yeah, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think a lot of people preferred the champions of the continent gameplay compared to like the vanilla well, because well, even like for story like just one example for story like structure in octopath traveler each story was tied to each of the protagonists and what that ultimately ended up resulting in was that like your protagonist would be like the only character in the story and they would never talk or even acknowledge any of the other protagonists that you had mm-hmm. in your party so uh kind of they're all like eight disjointed stories where apparently champion of the continent there are three villains and so the storylines are now branched and centered on the three villains which allow like your characters now to actually communicate (laughs) yep with each other so so that's why like i these mobile uh, game entries are cool they seem neat but I would like to see them release in the West. That's kind of what it all boils boils down to because I never really stick with Japanese only mobile games. Just it doesn't like I don't feel like a sense of community if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Uh, I get it to them. So, but yeah, it, like the battle, like the the trailer for this show is actually a fair bit of like actual gameplay, and it looks like I know this sounds like this is basically just port begging, but like if this had an English localization and they put it on Switch and or switch and mobile devices like i feel like this would find an audience and it's just unfortunate that we just kind of have to like just not even consider it where it's like well wasn't announced for the for the west who knows if it'll ever come over uh so just kind of put it out of sight out of mind unless you know you have enough games on the series (laughs) yeah so it looks cool and i always always kind of a i kind of liked how i know a lot of people aren't a fan of it but i kind of liked how bravely default look Two looked it had like a unique art style that you don't see a lot of games try uh i know some people immediately were like oh this mobile game uses that art style i'm immediately not interested which is fine you're allowed to have that preference but like if this was in english i'd probably uh give it a try because i i kind of liked bravely default too um but as it is i don't speak japanese so i just have to Wait until they announce an English version, if they ever do. This is pure speculation, but I I, I kind of have to wonder if Bravely Default 2 being greenlit hinged on... The, they already knew they were going to make a mobile game based off assets on it. So, Very possible. I don't know. Good yeah, point. Like, we'll make this console entry, and then we'll follow it up with some of the art assets you make. Because obviously, art assets are by far the most consuming part of game development. Like, we'll use these in a mobile game, which, if it does well, could vastly out <laughs> revenue. Uh, right. We've, had, we've had this conversation so, before where it's just like the mobile game ends up being like the anchor financially, which then use then they use to like finance all the other projects. Here is something that's a little bit of a different sort of a news story that we uh, typically cover on this podcast. Um, so we want to be careful because we are not experts here. Uh, originally reported 
in a Japanese entertainment blog, Nikon Taishu, we have learned some speculative insight about the future of RGG Studios' Judgment subseries. Obviously, we've talked about Lost Judgment releasing worldwide next month, or sorry, in two months in September. Um, we've talked about how that would pair with the Yakuza series. It would be the action branch of the uh, of the studio's output going forward. Well, unfortunately, there might be a, a bit of a hiccup in there. So it seems like based on an insider's information reported in Nikon Taishu in Japan, the Japanese actor Takuya Kimura, who is the face model and voice model for Judgment's protagonist, Takayuki Agami, is having a dispute with Sega about continuing the series based on his partnership with the talent agency Johnny's or Johnny and Associates formally. So the details here are kind of sparse, exactly what the disagreement is, but it seems like it ties into why the series doesn't have an official PC release that Sega really wants about the using the actor's likenesses uh, in very controlled environments. That's why it's not available on PC because they don't want the likeness to be able to be like used in other like pulled out of the game and used wherever people you know desire so basically the the hammer comes down that says lost judgment because of this dispute between uh the actor kimura and sega and the talent agency johnny's lost judgment might be the last entry in this series so what do we think about this? This is obviously like we don't know, we don't have all the details. We don't know like what the contracts look like. We this is this is in a lot of ways speculation, but but it makes a lot of sense. It's it's ridiculous enough that like you've I, I buy it. Yeah, I had never heard of Johnny's before, but then you see like how specific magazines, entertainment magazines in Japan, literally cannot show. They have to show silhouettes of these actors when you're looking at a digital copy of the magazine because they don't want the likeness to be pulled out of there. You have to get the. Uh, the hard copy and so they literally just blank it out and show the silhouettes and it's just like if that's the level of control that they're expecting to have with their agents uh and with their you know clients the fact that they say well extend that one further we don't want he's the face model and the the uh the voice actor for yagami yeah, yeah similar things with the um how uh one of the characters in Yakuza Four. Who is the uh, who's the police cadet in that game? I don't remember his name. Uh, yeah, the, the the protagonist there, the part that was part of the police uh, force. I forgot his name off the top of my head, but yeah, but he uh, couldn't show up in future games because of uh, disputes with his actor. And then we saw in Judgment One with the drug uh, accusation, one of the actors there had to have his model. Yeah, had to have his model completely altered. So basically, it seems like this isn't the first time that Sega and RGG Studios have run into the difficulties of hiring the likeness and the voice talents of these high-profile Japanese actors. But now it seems like this is where it's hitting the hardest, where it might result in the ending of a series prematurely, especially just we're, we're less than a year away from them basically saying Judgment will be the action series going forward. And this doesn't necessarily, I would presume, this doesn't necessarily have to mean the, the end of the series because they could change protagonists or they could shuffle other things around. But it's it seems like well, it was an unexpected roadblock. It's it's, it's unfortunate because Nagoshi has already said like when, when the loss of judgment unveiled and every piece of marketing with, with judgment is like ju like we will not continue judgment if like if Kimura wasn't involved with it. Like oh, all right. the whole judgment. Yeah, he's Kimura. outright said that he basically wrote the character for for him alone. Yeah, and it's not it's not an, it's not a simple 
well, quote unquote simple. It was not, nowhere near simple for for the development team for sure. When they had to swap the models for both the Yakuza Four uh, cop character and for the Pierre Taki uh, modeled character in the First Judgment, nowhere nowhere near simple process. But it, uh, like you can't just simply model swap Kimura out because of his prominent role in the game as the protagonist too. Because the the identity of Judgment in those regions and the asian region and japan like he is such a big big celebrity and such a big central core focus of that series that it just kind of crumbles apart and i don't know if you can make it'd be weird to make a, a new judgment like a judgment three with a new protagonist not only without him but what do you do with the previous judgment releases are just are just there's they're still not going to get pc releases if you switch the protagonist to a new one maybe judgment 3 could come to pc but not the previous ones if they right. switch to protect because you know that's the that's the deal that they made with johnny's um mm-hmm. for Kimura. yeah yeah we, yeah we don't know the language of the contract like yeah. they might not be they might not be legally allowed to swap the model out and just to but just to have... assign names to yakuza 4 because i felt bad glossing over yeah. it the character was masayoshi tanamura originally yes. portrayed by hiroki Nariamiya, but then in the um, the version available on PC now, he's got a new uh, a new likeness to Toshiki Masuda. So I think I think if you go to like the modding scene on Steam, you can get the original model replaced, but it's all unofficial. And uh, I imagine I don't think Johnny's as well like uh, t- keeps a close eye on like the PC market uh, uh, these days. But like you know, uh, you can easily extract models from even the PS like PS4 model of uh, Kimura into. Other, uh, other games and whatnot but the thing with we call, we call a similar thing that happened like uh the johnny uh not johnny um the keona reeves character uh, the keona reeves character in cyberpunk people extracted his character out of that game you know and for, for their own nefarious deeds and I'm, I'm not saying that like johnny's kept uh a tab on what happened to keona reeves but you know it's happened it's already probably happened for kimura's character with the uh, when you Take the console release into uh, into account, but of course people are going to use it for nefarious deeds. Of course, because that's what it is. I think we're giving maybe a little bit too much credit to the uh, agency here, considering they're the same agency that literally doesn't allow the likeness of their ac- uh, voice actors, on, like in magazines. Like literally, you have pictures of them looking like in uh, a locked character in a fighting game because all you see is the silhouette next to real people like in their pictures because johnny and associates literally said no you can't you can't show them i'm not, I'm not saying that like johnny's is right i'm saying that that's just fact that like that's already happened yeah. of, like models getting extracted that's just the, that's always been the landscape for a pc in how many years you know so their their concerns aren't unfounded but i think it's a it's still a, a silly reason and uh, like you said like the the way they're so strict on controlling the likeness of their characters and their talents is it's archaic especially uh, this year but that's the way they run their agency and it's hard it's hard to negotiate yourself out of that but you already signed the contract with them and the only way to move forward is either somehow reach a compromise and, and agree on something or you pull out and if all of this reporting is true you know i'm i am not envious for the the t the sega legal team that has to deal with this because they have to keep the interests of Sega in mind. And at the end of the day, Sega wants to make money, and a good chunk of that money is the PC market. Uh, oddly enough, I wonder 
I, I wonder how the judgment to Stadia uh, agreement went because maybe maybe Johnny doesn't know what Stadia is. In the in the you know, they only showed the con- they only showed the controller and they're like, see, it's just maybe it's just like, a, it's just like an Xbox. Like okay. maybe maybe Sega pulled a fast one on Google saying, yeah, we'll sign a contract not to release judgment on PC if you give us money. We yeah, totally it is interesting to think about like what happened behind the scenes. But the thing is, is that uh, Judgment, the original Judgment, was on Stadia, but Lost Judgment hasn't been announced for it. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of just like a weird footnote in this whole saga. It, it would be, I don't know. Obviously, no one knows how Lost Judgment ends and how the game is, but it would be an incredible shame if this would be the last entry because Judgment is such a cool series, and for a lot of people in the Yaku, in the yeah, in the Yakuza fandom, like that, this is their favorite entry. And uh, recall that Judgment was supposed to be this, uh, the Brawler series moving forward while Yakuza continues its RP, uh, turn-based RPG trend. So this, this is awkward. This is such an awkward situation. And hopefully things work out in um, favorable and ver- in a world where we hopefully see Judgment gets a release on PC uh, without any sort of legal thing binding them from doing it. And Kimura is such a cool character in that game. I really, really enjoy his character. Yagami is an awesome protagonist. During this week, we got the announcement and release of the long-awaited Nier Automata on Steam PC patch. So obviously, uh, earlier this year, Nier Automata released on the Microsoft Store on PC from a different porting studio. And it seems like, out of the box... It was a better port than the original Steam release from the original launch. And this resulted, we talked about this on the podcast, this resulted in tons of, in my opinion, justified review bombing where they were, they weren't promised a patch, but like Square Enix had told consumers back at launch to stay tuned and then nothing ever happened and the original PC port just kind of languished. And then here, all of a sudden, they had a better option available to them on a different platform. Well, they finally followed through, and a new, the new patch is now available and live on Steam for Nier Automata. I have not downloaded this. I don't think anyone here has. I have kind of poured through some of the Steam forum discussions just to see what the consensus is, just try to see the varying opinions. Um, and you always get the people who are just like, well, when, it's, when, you, when you mod, when you use the, uh, the fan mod, that FAR mod, Fix Automata Resolution mod, uh, that has been around since launch that people have always kind of swore by. Like, it's still better with the mod. But based on what I've read and what the initial impressions seem to be, it seems like the new patch is pretty damn comprehensive, pretty damn good. No no longer having stuttering cutscenes, no longer uh, having a locked 720p resolution. There, are, there seems to be a few niggling issues with ambient occlusion and with some frame rate limiters. It sounds like the... Uh, the far mod author Cal Dian, is going to update it to try to patch up the the new version of the game. But uh, I think Adam, if you haven't listened to that old episode of the podcast where we talked about this, I think Adam kind of put it best, where it was kind of a blemish on Square Enix's catalog to have such a much maligned game with such a a poor user rating just sitting on the storefront. So it's a, maybe a little bit too, too little, too late, depending on your on your. Uh, perspective but i think this is a good move it's it's not perfect some people will still swear by the mod it seems good and smart and prudent to kind of have addressed those lingering concerns that had been ignored so 
Um, I did mention Better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, I did mention that once since since I had kind of played the two games backwards, quote unquote, that I was interested in revisiting Automata now that I've played through Replicant. Uh, so I guess uh, maybe in the future, maybe later this year, or early next, I'll because uh, I played through Automata on PC with the far mod, so um, I don't get a ton from this patch and i think a lot of people who play the game on pc won't get a ton but it's just nice to, to know that you can suggest to people yes this game is a great game and you don't feel obligated to say but asterisk you have to have this it's like some people will still think you should have it you should consider it but it seems like it works much better out of the box and it seems like most of the uh, impressions that i've read through have been pretty damn positive so i guess kudos to square enix for for finally coming through on uh near automata on steam well, there is that group of people that would refuse to use any kind of mods. We'll just play the game how it is. So I guess that group base is benefit hugely from it, I would say. Well, having a working product out of the box, I think, is definitely like, regardless of how much you can soup it up with fan efforts, with passion projects, with modding you know, tools, if it doesn't work out of the box as well, like you expect it to, that's just undeniably not good. The fact that we no longer have to feel obligated to include that caveat because it was our that was our game of the year right so now we don't have to say but don't get it on scene without the mod we can kind of we don't have to have that consideration anymore at least not to the same extent so good to see better late than never it was, it was a long time coming but you know we got there took almost four years i guess yeah, it's crazy that it's been that long We got an announcement of a new Monster Hunter project, and I did not know about this until right before the podcast. Uh, this is the announcement of Monster Hunter's Legends of the Guild, a Netflix original Monster Hunter project uh, with CG that I think might be an acquired taste. So, uh, James, I don't know if you're interested in this much at all, but did you have any like takes on what you saw on this trailer here? Or maybe uh, uh, this the is a Josh question. The Legends of the Guild Netflix project. Yeah. Um, the most interesting thing about this is that this was announced years ago. And I'm pretty sure like everyone had assumed that it was just dead. Um, so I watched the trailer and I don't know. I'll be honest. I I've seen some folks saying, oh, man, it looks so good. I'm so excited. And it's like, I just don't see it. Like the CG and the animations in the trailer just give me really heavy uncanny valley vibes. And I'm just, it doesn't look good. I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe Josh or someone else in here has a different impression of it. If they've seen the trailer, but just, I watch it and it's like, yeah, I'm good. I, I really don't need to see this. Yeah. I, I watched it. I'm like, ah, hopefully if people say it's amazing, I'll watch it. But if I don't hear anything about this, when it comes out, then uh, I'll pass. It's, uh, it, gives, it gives me like Final Fantasy PS2 CG vibes or like Shrek vibes. It's, it doesn't look that bad. It's more technically <laughs> impressive than that. But the style of it kind of looks like that. Where it looks like the people are like made of clay and they like have like exaggerated proportions, which maybe that's better than trying to shoot for photorealism. But I think they might have swung too low. You know, you know what I like about Monster Hunter? I like playing Monster Hunter. I don't necessarily like watching yep. Monster Hunter. <laughs> It seems like it could have some fans where it was like, oh, I saw Devil Joe in the trailer or whatever, or like, oh, the Palico character could be cute. Um, I didn't but... watch the, the Hollywood movie, so I have no reason to watch this one. I'm just not, I'm just not interested in watching watching Monster Hunter stories play out. I just I go to the Monster Hunter to play the games, really. That's about it. Yep. Yeah, so 
this will premiere on August 12th. So it'll be in a month and a half. You can watch this. For what it's Maybe. worth, whatever it's worth, the, the studio behind this is the same studio as Lego Movie. Oh, boy. Which I find kind of amusing okay. in a way because okay. like Lego Movie didn't have like human proportion characters either. So it's, Well, the Lego Legos. Movie, I thought people was... Regen- I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. Um, people praised it for how it took yeah, the art style. The only thing I was getting it. at is like in Monster Hunter, you have normal proportion characters. In this, in Legos, you have Lego characters, so it's just kind of interesting. Like, okay, so this is the Monster Hunter movie. Obviously, you're going to have normal human characters, and it seems like that's the point of contention that people are taking most issue with. Is that like the humans look kind of weird? Watch the Lego movie instead, maybe. But I don't know. I feel bad judging. What about this? What about this? Why don't they make a Lego Monster Hunter movie? Uh, (laughs) I'd watch it. Uh, Yeah, that's something I would watch. Yeah. So, hey, you know what? I'll give you that idea for free Hollywood. But yeah, uh, August twelfth. If you're, if you, uh, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be surprisingly good. Uh, it, maybe it'll be better than the Hollywood movie. <laughs> That's not difficult. <laughs> I'm about to say like, well, hopefully it will be less racist than the Hollywood movie. Uh, One yeah, would I hope. I remember that scene. Uh, all right, we got a few other trailers for some upcoming games that we'll just kind of rattle through quickly. Um, I kind of preempted this earlier. Uh, we got a new character introduction spotlight for Tales of Arise. This is for the uh, brawler character that uses like knuckle fist types weapons, Law. We already got the uh, character spotlights for the two protagonists, Elfin and Shion. Uh, this Law trailer, I think, is fine, except for the fact that the English version, I don't like the voice actor. Um, I don't know. It's... It's it's, 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 a it's, it's yeah, it's exactly what you expect it to be. No surprises. Mm-hmm. He has some dialogue, some cutscenes with him. He's shown to be really distrustful of Shion because she's an other. She's from the other. You know, I forget the name of the of the the world that she's from, but she, he's initially distrustful. Doesn't like that Alfin is putting some like confiding in her, etc. Some combat snippets of how he fights, things like that. It's a character trailer. It looks really fun to play. I want to play all these characters so far. The the all the battle footage footage they've shown out, uh, shown so far. I'm just like, I just want to play the damn game. This looks too fun. Stop doing this. If you just the next time I want to hear about Tales of Arise, it better be like it's a demo today. You can go play it. That'd be great. Please. And visually, visually, the game still looks really good. So the combat looks fast and fun. But yeah, character trailer. So I, I guess expect three more of those. This trailer is maybe inherently more interesting. The big Shin Megami Tensei 5 story trailer. This is basically four minutes of pure cutscene, some gameplay. Uh, I've watched this having not played any other Shin Megami Tensei game, not an, uh, other than Persona 4, if you even count that. And I've seen some people say that this trailer, this story trailer, has a lot of spoilers in it. But I feel like I'm so lost that I can't even, like, I'm too dumb to spoil myself because I don't know, like what things are being referenced or what things I should be excited about, like uh, certain demon designs or certain character, like archetypes being presented. But I thought the trailer well, was really damn cool. Certain anime openings, right? It's like, do you count that as a spoiler or it's like, sometimes you don't have the context. It's like, can I even treat it as a spoiler? If you don't know the context? Well, yeah, for that's... a little bit of uh, series context. So SMT games always have, like maybe not always, but almost always have multiple endings and there's usually tied to an ending like a certain character, like this is their route. Like you have the law character or the chaos character or whatever. So that's not really new. 
Um, and people are basically taking this trailer and sort of based on the dialogue and based on what's said, they're like, oh, this guy must be the law guy in the law route, and this guy must be the chaos guy in the chaos route. So people are, based on what they know, how the series games are typically structured and based on what they show here, just sort of putting two and two together, assuming which characters might be tied to different philosophies that tie to the different game routes. Is what That's a lot of speculation doing. at the end yeah. of the day. Like, who knows? <laughs> who freaking knows? Uh, I'm excited. This looks. Uh, this trailer continues. You know, uh, I love the art narrative. Style. Yeah, SMT five has been always uh, has been strong, strongly shown, and uh, even daily they have these uh, demon daily videos that shows off a demon in the game in some footage. But this this trailer looks great. Like the it it really nailed home that hey people, there you don't have to worry about just a wasteland environment in this game because I know there were some worries about it uh, take uh, adopting the Nocturne philosophy of like hey it's only gonna be wastelands you're only going to go to go through sandy or deserted type regions like this this trailer is full of full of varied environments from swamps to you're going through like some haunted school through uh, you're going through snowy regions it's it, it was filled with that we saw a lot uh, a lot more of like demons actually living in this world so there's like the sequence very brief but really stuck out to me of like a mixture of like predas and kodamas and uh other demons like praising an asparagus in their community so there's some form of like belief or religion type deal with some demon communities in this world so like that's like the these cool little touches that's just like these this feels this feels like it feels lived in it feels like you're actually in a place uh and like you're just exploring around seeing like this now deserted world just filled with demons like they actually have communities and, yeah, and it, it, it's really out. fun to see because there have been a lot of smt games but almost always you just based on you know technical limitations really yeah you never saw the demons in the environment they'd only show up in battle and if they were in the environment it would just be like a basic model just standing there or whatever like in nocturne so like yeah. being able to see the sort of meshing of the demon models with the environment and even the games even like making sure the sizes are nice and varied. Like there's a gigantic cert that shows up right at the front of the trailer. And really the, cert, cool. the cert is like that, that, uh, like multiple building demon that has like a flame sword. And then that's the, you know, that's cert. That, that was cool. Um, it's cool to see stuff like that. It almost, I know this is maybe a weird comparison, but it like, it, it almost reminds me of like what people want to see with like Pokemon games. Like they want to see Pokemon in the environment rather than just like coming out of Pokeballs or whatever. And it's just cool to see like all these classic demons that you know people who have played the series are really familiar with, just kind of interacting with the environment, like with each other, things like that. It's just really cool to see, like finally, in a way. It was interesting to see that um, one of the cover art demons, the yellow one, uh, show up in the trailer, and like let's see some sort of like the law faction. It's like leading like this in, like gigantic force of angels or powers, I guess. Uh, that that's the specific demon name, power. Like they they show up like in a military military diamond formation against like an incoming. It looks like Lucifer or yeah. It's uh so there's certainly some sort of like ongoing war uh as you're progressing through the game, whether that's like shows up actively or not. We saw a good focus of this trailer that like that uh, Adam and I were talking about was there, there's some sort of like headquarters environment that you're uh, occasionally visiting. And it's like, 
the Nahobino is separated into like the um, the Algami and the main character for this instance in the in this headquarters scene and like this the security chief that really strongly resembles Algami and there's like who knows what that's about and uh, the, you're you're not the only human there there's like you and like you as you were saying like there are friends with you there's this a guy that wears glasses yeah there's a prominent female character uh that you're ta- that wants to stop the fighting you have this blonde character at present and then there's this other scene where you have the, the glasses character and another character with a scarf a green scarf uh speaking in the subway and then there's also the, uh, these scenes where you're going to school with them and it looks kind of sort of like a sort of a delusion or a dream almost it's so of course it's all presented to you with no context so you're just like kind of left with kind of puzzling things together leaving it up to imagination i thought it was a really effective trailer and it, it showed off uh what maga suhi skills are so a lot of when the debut trailer was shown at e3 uh the e3 nintendo direct people noticed right away it's like oh during battles you have this maga suhi meter what the hell is this and then you use this resource for specific skills in combat so they showed off like one that uh, a very powerful skill it looks like uh, I think it's called fairy banquet where you use this magatsuhi skill to immediately get everyone's buffs uh up to max all their stats to max uh, basically uh for that battle and that looks very useful but then there are other more flashier magatsuhi attacks where the nahobino just like goes full on anime you know it's like kind of has this swirling whirlwind sword going down on enemies it's just it looks bonkers yeah, like yeah i misspoke at the top like the the, the the trailer opens and ends with cutscenes, but there's a good like 60 seconds of raw gameplay footage including battle and overland over overworld uh gameplay so it does show a fair bit of both sides and it looks yeah it looks fun as hell i'll just put it that way there yeah. Were, yeah this is kind of nitpicking at this point but i do feel like there were some moments in the trailer where you could almost see the game like struggling a little bit in terms of frame rate yeah, and I I'm do just sort of hoping that that's not too big a deal being on Switch like most of the time. But there were a few moments in the trailer where it, I did catch that. I'm like, hmm, it's like my worry. So. But the game still looks very solid. You know, the, you could dissect the trailer for hours and hours on end. But it's just, it looks great. I'm excited. I'm very excited. November 12, I think, right? Still? Yep. Yep. We got a uh, localization announcement for a game that was uh, announced uh, earlier this year, and that is Nice America is publishing The Cruel King and the Great Hero in early twenty two, early twenty twenty two, for the West for PlayStation Four and Nintendo Switch. So Nippon Ichi announced this uh, for Japan earlier this year, but now we get the official announcement from Nice America for the localization. This is from the same team that did The Liar Princess and The Blind Prince. And I don't know much about this game, uh, The Cruel King and the Great Hero, but it has like a really kind of poignant trailer with a really sad premise that I feel like could like be really like heart wrenching in a good way, like in a, like a good sad story, like potentially sad story where it's this dragon basically acting as like this foster father to a young girl who he is raising so that she can one day defeat him. So just that that's the premise in a sense. Um, and it just seems like, man, that's what, that's a, that's a striking idea for a game for a story. So 
the, the announcement trailer is really just trying to get you a feel for the artwork and for uh, the two characters, the, the dragon and the girl. But uh, I think Adam has mentioned this on previous podcasts where it's just cool that uh, Nice America gives these little independent projects, these little interesting uh, one-off ideas, space and breathing room, despite the fact that they're not like big franchises or they're not like these giant projects, just these little interesting ideas um, like Void Terrarium and uh, Liar Princess. So, Not uh, to mention... Um, last year's stuff like Mad Rat Dead. It's like, that's one of the things that I actually really appreciate about NIS. And I hope that despite all the signs that they pull through, eh, they out of like, they're one of the last real like double A developers on Japan side or in general, even that really have a lot of creative freedom in the IPs that they make, the games they make. And it's, cool to see stuff like this coming out of them. I wish it was a Labyrinth of Galleria localization <laughs> announcement, but um, definitely uh, still nice to see uh, more of these games coming west. I, as you said, the, that's one of the like admirable things about Nippon Ichi. That, you know, a lot of people just associate them like, when's the next Disgaea? You know, but yeah. they're, they're definitely one of the last bastions are just like releasing brand new titles consistently without being having being, they're not tied to a previous series uh they're not afraid to just like hey we have a neat idea that we'd like to share let's release it see how it does and you know uh, i'm not gonna say that they're all hits every time but it's cool to see that someone's doing different uh, someone's yeah there's Poison different control title. was was one of those wasn't it <laughs> not quite a hit but yeah. an, an idea <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this this did I guess already released in Japan in June. Uh, but early tw- early twenty twenty two. It's hard to say for some reason. Twenty twenty two for for us in the West. Not so. really here. Yeah, I, I really the storybook style and the premise. Like it's the sort of game you know exactly how it's going to end, but it seems like it could be pretty like compelling, charming, tragic sort of story, bittersweet. And then finally, we got a, a release date announcement. This is for the Caligula Effect Two. So it released in Japan also in June, uh, but its uh, Western release will be October 19th in North America and October 22nd in Europe. So another another one for the holiday season. Uh, I don't know if we've gotten a lot of impressions from the Japanese release. I know a lot of people here weren't really high on the original release, but maybe this game is an opportunity to correct on the mistakes of the uh, initial version of the game. I tried to get through the Caligula effect overdosed. Uh, I, I swear, I've, uh, now that I'm done with uh, AI Somnium files, maybe that's the next one on my backlog that I have, maybe I should try to get through uh, in time for this because uh, people, I haven't heard bad things about Cal- Caligula effect too. I don't know much about Caligula effect. I've heard a pretty, some pretty good impressions actually. So quick, quick history. I played the Vita version of Caligula and I felt that game honestly kind of sucked. But I know some people, even if it's like with caveats, swear that the overdose version is a lot better, not just performance wise, which alone is huge, but a lot of the additions made just make let things make more sense or fleshed out quite a bit more. Um, so I want to like try it. I'm still kind of like reeling though <laughs> from the Vita version. So I am I am not my interest is not at zero for for the sequel. Yeah, I, but I I, I want to have context for it, and I don't think watching the anime is really that <laughs> will help for it. So I'm like, I I gotta. It's. I wonder if if this is a long game. I have no idea how long Overdose is. 
I will trust you guys to uh, bear the burden and tell me if this game's any good. But yeah, that covers it for news for this week. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, you can visit us on RPGsite.net, our main website, where we covered all the things that we talked about today, along with some of the uh, older features and some of the reviews from the from the last month, including Monster Hunter Stories 2 uh, and some of the guides for that game. You can always visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash RPGsite, our Twitter page, at RPGsite, and also on Facebook and Instagram under the same name. We're here seemingly every week, so... Uh, we'll continue to kind of adjust and play with the early format, depending on how many people we have on the podcast on any given week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, try to stay cool, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. And play Super Robot Wars! <laughs>